What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylari. So tonight, I'm going to start off by talking about some college baseball. I'm going to start off talking about the Northeastern Huskies, then talk about BC baseball. Both teams starting out 5-1 and one early in the season, only six games in, so still a lot of games left to go. But both teams are off to hot starts, 5-1 and one apiece, which is very exciting. I'm going to talk about what's going on for Northeastern most. I'll talk about some BC baseball as well. After that, I'll transition to talk about the Red Sox uh, very quick and also give my thoughts on the MLB pitch clock and what I think it means for their MLB in the future and whether or not I think it's a good idea. And then I'll get into, after that, talking about uh, BC basketball for a few minutes and then I'm going to have Mike Hurley, the sports guru, come on and he's going to give me his thoughts on the NHL trade deadline, how the Bruins have been playing as of late, the Patrick Kane trade, which just happened today. Kane, obviously a long time, Chicago Blackhawk. We're making the move to the New York Rangers in a trade that just happened today. I might come on and talk about that. And then uh, we'll talk about the rest of the NHL and, and what he thinks for the NHL playoffs and obviously uh, give his thoughts on the Eastern Conference, which is stacked. So we'll have him come on probably about 20 minutes in. For the first 20 minutes, I'll talk about some college baseball. I'm going to start off at Northeast, as I said. 5-1 and one record to start the year. They've won four games in a row. Just swept Indiana State in Port Charlotte, Florida this past weekend. This is the first time Northeastern started 5-1 and one since 2009. Very impressive start. Their best start since then, since 2009, was a 4-2 start in 2019. This is the first time under Mike Glavin that a team is 5-1 in the first six games. Best start in the first six games of the season under Mike Glavin. So very impressive start to the season for the Northeastern Huskies. And one player that you have to mention and has been a huge part of the Huskies' offense last year and then this year as well is Mike Sirota. I've talked about him now a ton over the past year, whether it was my radio show last year, my podcast over the summer, talking about him in the Cape Cod Baseball League, or even in this radio show here when I gave a preview of the game last week. Mike Sirota has been on a tear. Three home runs in his first 24 uh, at-bats. He had two home runs of the Huskies, six home runs in Saturday's second game of the doubleheader versus Indiana State. The Huskies won that game 15-10. to so on the year, Mike Sirota has three home runs already to go along with a 469 base percentage, a 792 slugging percentage, nine RBIs, and seven walks with a 469 OBP, a 1261 OPS, and a 792 slugging percentage. You look at what he did last year, four home runs, 20 RBIs, 17 walks, and 37 games. In just six games this year, it is three home runs compared to the four he had last year in 37 games. He has nine RBIs in just six games, which he only had 20 last year in 37 games since he did miss a good amount of the season with a leg injury. And then last year, only walked 17 times in 37 games. He already is off to a start with seven walks in his first six games. A very impressive start of the season for Mike Sirota. I'm going to talk about what he did in that Red Sox-Northeastern game last week as well. I'll give a quick recap of that game uh, in just a minute. But great start to the season for Mike Sirota, one of the best players in college baseball. Won't be draft eligible until 2024, but that's a guy to keep your eye on for the 2024 MLB draft. He can do everything you need in a star player. He can give you uh, 10 to 15, 20 stolen bases in a season, give you 10 home runs, 30 RBIs, a 350 batting average, a 400 on-base percentage, a 1,200 OPS, anything you need from a star player he can give you. And I'm excited to see what he does this season and next for the Northeastern Huskies. Another player to highlight for Northeastern is redshirt senior Danny Crossan, who's been on a tear to start the season, a 417 batting average with two home runs, seven RBIs, to go on with a 1420 OPS and an 875 slugging percentage so far on the year. Redshirt senior, obviously a veteran on this team. Northeastern did lose some offensive talent this past year. J.P. Ellison, their catcher, who was one of the best hitters in the lineup last year, is no longer on the team. And then Northeastern also lost former great designated hitter and also left fielder Corey DiLoretto. He is no longer in that Northeastern roster anymore. So that's a big loss, and Northeastern had to find ways to get some runs elsewhere. 
They also lost a couple of the pieces, too, from last year's team, which that's always going to happen from one year to the next. You're always going to lose pieces uh, over the course of a year, especially in college baseball. College sports in general, you're always going to lose players over the course from one year to the next. So that's just what happens. Northeast also lost Max Vieira, who was one of the best hitters in 2021. Last year in 2022, didn't really have as great of a season. He had 348 in his freshman season in 2021. Just last year, though, only hit 208 in 55 games played. So had a drop-off last year for uh, Max Vieira. had six home runs as a freshman, only one home run last year as a sophomore. He's no longer on the Huskies. Corey DiGloretto's no longer on the Huskies. J.P. Elson's no longer on the Huskies. So three pieces right there that were on Northeastern's team last year in the starting lineup to go along with Jeff Costello. He was a senior last year. He graduated. And then also backup catcher Teddy Baudet. He graduated as well. So Northeastern lost a lot of talent over this past year in offense. And it's great to see Danny Crossan, redshirt, senior utility man, stepping up, making plays, and obviously off to a hot start on the year. Overall, the Huskies already have 14 home runs in their first six games of the season. So there's a lot more power to this lineup than they had last year. If you look at what the Huskies had last year in their lineup, just 27 home runs in the first six in, in 61 games last year. 27 home runs in 61 games. Northeast already has 14 home runs in their first six games this year. So they already have just about half the home runs, more than half the home runs they had last year, they already have in 31 less games than they did last season. Or not 31, in 55 less games, excuse me. In 55 less games. So 13 home runs less in 55 less games. 27 home runs in 61 games last year, and 14 home runs in six games this year. So. So the Huskies continue to play. They'll be traveling this weekend to the University of South Florida for a three-game series. They're 3-5 and five on the South Florida, that is. Uh, they did face two top 15 teams in Maryland. Maryland was 13th when they played them, and then Florida was number 7 in the country when they played them. And it's pretty impressive that South Florida went 2-3 and three against those teams uh, in a five-game stretch, obviously playing two top 15 teams. It's not easy to go up against those uh, you know, top 15 teams ever, especially playing them so early in the season when you're just trying to find a groove and get your offense going. South Florida will be playing another top 15 team tomorrow in Florida State on the road in Tallahassee. They'll be traveling to Florida State tomorrow for one game midweek series. Uh, so we'll see how that game goes for them. So overall in the year, the Northeast Huskies are 5-1. and one. Now let's transition to BC Baseball. They are 5-1 and one as well. They've won five straight games. They did lose the season opener last week against Pepperdine, which I talked about last week in my episode last Tuesday night. They lost that first game of the year 9-0, won the next two games against Pepperdine, 3-0, and then 18-6. The offense has been there all season long now so far, and the pitching has been there as well. They beat Bucknell on Friday, 9-1 in Charleston, South Carolina. Then they played Canisius, beat them 3-0 on Saturday, and then on Sunday against Rutgers, beat them 6-4. Obviously, BC Baseball is now having everything come together at once. You know, the hitting last year was good, and they could score, you know, seven or eight runs a game, but it doesn't make a difference when you're giving up 10 to 12 runs a game, especially in the ACC. BC, I believe, only had four ACC wins all season last year, which I'm going to double-check that just to make sure. But the start off this year, very hot. Last year, they only had five wins in the ACC, five and 25 in the ACC, losing their last six games, uh, especially... Uh, it, it, these are blowouts. A lot of these games, fifteen to one to Clemson, eighteen to seven to Maine, eight to one to Florida State, sixteen to ten to Notre Dame, eleven to five against Notre Dame, ten to nothing to UMass Lowell, six to four uh, to Virginia Tech, six to one against Virginia Tech. I mean, these are games all scattered. These weren't their last uh, six games. Did lose their last six games, but I just gave probably a breakdown of six or seven of the last ten to twelve games of last season. But a lot of blowouts in last season's uh, schedule for for BC, and luckily this year they have the pitching and the hitting. Both coming together at the same time. That's really what they needed, uh, especially considering last year, as I said, they could score runs. It was really just a defensive uh, and, and pitching-wise um, 
a, a challenge every single game for them, uh, night in, night out. But so far in the season, they're getting a lot of production uh, from their lineup and then also their pitching as well. Peter Burns, senior catcher, I believe he's a sixth year now, uh, graduate student. He's hit 417 on the year in the first five games of the season with a 1250 OPS. He's got home run, three RBIs, a 750 slugging percentage to go along with four runs scored and uh, a double as well. And then you got Barry Walsh. A senior outfielder who's had a great start to the season as well. 333 batting average, a 1058 OPS. He's got two home runs and seven RBIs. BC's best power hitter from last season, Cam Leary. He's off to a hot start as well. He's a 316 batting average, two home runs, three RBIs to go along with six hits and a double uh, to start the season with a 684 slugging percentage. BC right now has one, two, three, four, five, six guys that have played five games or more, hitting over 315 or better. Very impressive. Very impressive start of the season, including Joe Vitrano, who had a pretty good season last year for BC. He's off to a hot start, hitting 318. He's got some power, too. He's got two home runs already with six RBIs. And then you got Nick Wang, who is a sophomore from Newton, Massachusetts, coming uh, to BC this year, I believe, is a newcomer through the lineup. Hit 333 with a 909 OPS to start the season. Uh, I believe he was a transfer student. Let me make sure I get that right. He attended Holy Cross as a freshman, was actually Rookie of the Year in the Patriot League last year in 2022. Hit 369 for the Crusaders last year with a 574 slugging percentage and a 468 OBP. Came over to BC after having three home runs, 18 doubles, and 21 RBIs last season for Holy Cross. And that has been a focal point of that BC lineup so far. Uh, and obviously, BC needs all the run support they can get. Considering last year, I mean, they gave up 10 runs a game. And even though they could score eight, as I said, it wasn't enough. But obviously, if you score 10 runs a game, you should win most of the games you play. BC this weekend, though, outscoring their opponents, 18 Two five, which is very impressive. Obviously, start the season only giving up five runs. BC's actually only given up five runs or more just two games this entire season. So impressive start of the season for BC. They'll actually be on the road now facing Kennesaw State for weekend series. Uh, they'll be playing them the third, fourth, and fifth Friday, Saturday, Sunday of this weekend before traveling next week to Tennessee. They'll be playing Knoxville at the University of Tennessee next Tuesday night at 6.30 p.m. Uh, and obviously that'll be a challenge. Tennessee has been a powerhouse in college baseball for the last few years. They always recruit very well, and they're obviously always off to a hot, st- hot start to the season, already 6-2 and two to start the year. And uh, actually scored 23 runs in a game last week against Alabama A&M uh, and have come uh, are going into this weekend uh, winning four straight games. We're playing Charleston Southern uh, on this coming Tuesday. They play them today at 4.30, actually. And then we placing Charles- playing Charleston Southern Wednesday before playing Gonzaga Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then we playing BC at home next Tuesday night in Knoxville, Tennessee. So going into their, the, the, the series now against uh, Charleston Southern, is it, it is for Tuesday and Wednesday before pl- facing Gonzaga. They've won six straight games. They're 5-0 at home. So BC is obviously playing uh, a very good team in college baseball. But uh, it's obviously a good way to get yourselves in the rankings. BC's 5-1 already start. But it obviously would take a little more to get ranked uh, considering a lot of teams to start the year are off to hot starts. But BC, if they were to play Kennesaw State tough this weekend, it's a team that actually made the College World Series bracket last year. Even though they didn't really go too far, I believe they were out in the first round. Uh, but they did make it last year. They had a good offensive team last year and could score a lot of runs. But uh, this year, it's obviously a different uh, lineup for that Kennesaw State team. Uh, I'm going to give you a breakdown of what they've done so far in the season. They're 5-1, and one, winning five straight games. 
Uh, they just beat Long Island three straight games in a weekend series, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, winning 15-2, to 19-14, and 12-8. So obviously their pitching has been a struggle uh, so far, giving up eight runs or more uh, in three of the last or two of the last three games, where they've scored 15, 19, and 12 runs in three straight games, and the least amount of runs they've scored in the game is six. They've scored 10 runs, 8 runs, 15 runs, 19 runs, 12 runs, and 6 runs. So we'll see how BC does versus them last week, that uh, next, this coming weekend. It'll obviously be a test for BC's pitching staff, considering that offensive juggernaut of a lineup in Kennesaw State has been putting up a ton of runs to start the season. So there's a breakdown of both the BC and Northeastern baseball teams and what they got coming up this coming weekend. Now, now I'm going to give a quick breakdown of the Northeastern uh, versus the Red Sox game. Uh, past This past Friday, I believe, uh, Northeastern ended up losing that game 5-3 to to the Red Sox in a seven-inning exhibition game. I believe it was the 19th or 20th time uh, that it's happened. Uh, Mike Sorters 1-2 in the game with an RBI double, also stole third base and scored a run in that game. He had a towering shot to center field in his last at-bat. Went off the wall, almost could have got out. It was very close. Um, and also had a great at-bat in his first at-bat uh, of the game. He had a long fly out to center field. So he's seen the ball very well against the Red Sox. Luckily, uh, had the towering shot to center field, got a double out of it. Uh, some days you just have two towering shots that end up as fly outs, like his first at-bat. But luckily, he caught a little bit of the wall in that second at-bat and gets a double out of it and ends up standing with third base. So it's a great showcase of the Red Sox uh, and other scouts as well. Uh, the Mike Sirota can not only give you power and give you a, a guy that can hit for average, but also add some speed to your lineup as well uh, and steal third base. Stunning shortstop for the Huskies, Spencer Smith. There's one of one in that game with a stolen base and a run scored. The Sox took advantage of Northeastern starter James Quinlevin to start the game. He walked four batters in the first inning, giving up two hits and surrendering five runs, only getting one out before coming out of the game. That's one thing he struggled with last year. Was locations, was with you know walks, and that's one thing that was showcased in this game against the Red Sox was the same exact thing they struggled with last year. It's been a challenge for him to throw strikes, and that was the same exact thing uh, last Friday for Quinlevin versus the Red Sox. He had to face some Red Sox starters. Oh, J- Jared Duran was in the lineup. He had a double right away against him. Rafael Devis, Kike Hernandez, Masataki Yoshida. He had to face a good amount of Red Sox starters in the lineup, so it's obviously not easy going up against a lot of starting uh, Red Sox players considering you're only a sophomore or, or junior for that Red Sox, uh, for that Northeastern team. But I believe he's a redshirt, redshirt sophomore, so technically a junior academically, but a second-year uh, baseball player for that Northeastern team. But... Overall, the Red Sox started the game with five runs in the first inning. Then after that, they didn't score any runs. Northeastern played very good defense and pitched very well in the last six innings of the game. Graduate student from Assumption College transferred from Assumption to Northeastern. Patrick Harrington came in relief. Harrington came in uh, in relief of Quinlevin and played very well. Two and two-thirds innings pitched. Uh, it did, got, did not give up a run. Northeastern scored two runs in the fourth inning, one run in the fifth. Ended up making it a 5-3 to three game, and that's the closest they got. The Sox and Huskies both had six hits apiece, so Northeastern really didn't struggle defensively, didn't really struggle uh, even hitting-wise either. It was really just that first inning, giving up all those walks to put themselves in a hole. And that could honestly have been a different game had Quinlevin and the Huskies got out of that first inning, maybe giving up two or three runs. But all in all, exciting game for Northeastern, just being uh, in a two-run game with the Boston Red Sox and a lot of the Red Sox prospects. Obviously, the Red Sox had... A lot of starters play, but for the most part, a lot of those guys playing the majority of that game are prospects in double-A and triple-A for the Red Sox. But impressive game for Northeastern. Obviously, Mike Sirota showcased a lot of talent, and hopefully uh, the Red Sox see that and hopefully try to get him in the draft in 2024. But obviously, we'll see what happens there. So now I'm going to talk about the Red Sox and give a little bit of a preview of how they've been, how they've been playing in spring training. They're playing tonight versus the Miami Marlins. It's their first night game of 
uh, this spring training schedule. They're up one nothing. Tristan Casas just singled in Greg Allen. One uh, nothing now in the top of the third inning. So obviously impressive start uh, for the Red Sox, uh, starting up one nothing. They're two zero and one so far in spring training. Two wins, zero losses, and a tie. They had a game against the Braves last week, ended on a tie, uh, which actually was a pretty unique circumstance. Uh, the Red Sox were tied with the Braves. It was 6-6, six six, two outs, bases loaded, with a 3-2 count against Braves second baseman Cal Conley. Conley did not get in the batter's box, and time was not set by, the, I believe it was the 7 or 8 second uh, mark there, where that's supposed to be the uh, point where a batter's supposed to be ready uh, for the pitcher to be uh, obviously ready to throw, and Conley was not set in the batter's box, was not ready, obviously, for a pitch, and by that point, ends up getting an automatic strike call, it's strike three, that ends the game, as I said, it was bases loaded, two outs, three and two count, in a tie game, that ends the game, uh, considering there's no extra innings in the spring training schedules, but also it could have ended the game uh, in a regular season game, but that game could have gone even further into extra innings, uh, considering that would have been a strike three, end of the inning, and obviously killed uh, the Braves' rally of potentially winning that game. Uh, but the Red Sox so far, 2-0-1, and I'm going to give a breakdown of what I think about the uh, automatic strike call, what I think about the pitch clock uh, in baseball. Right now, baseball uh, has implemented the automatic strike call and obviously the pitch clock uh, in spring training, and this is something that, it's going to be in effect in the regular season this year. So every team's really getting a chance to look at what they have to do better, whether it's the pitcher getting you know set up on the mound better or they have batters, certain batters are taking too, time to get the bat- too, too much time getting into the batters box. This is a time for teams to really take into account what they have to do better uh, and obviously get a, uh, acclimated to the new, ro- new rules. So I'm going to get a breakdown of what the new rules are. So there's... A new pitch time in the MLB for the 2023 season. There's 30 seconds in between batters. There's 15 seconds between pitches when the bases are empty. There's 20 seconds between pitches with runners on base. If there's a pitch or a catch a violation, it's an automatic ball for the team that is pitching. Or if there is a batter violation, where the batter took too long to get in the batter's box and they're resetting their gloves and not, you know, set up tapping the you know plate too much. That is called an automatic strike, which was seen, uh, and Cal Conley was a victim of that in that Braves-Red Sox game last week. So, so far, there's been eight Grapefruit League games that have begun at eight at 105 Eastern, and this actually comes from an article from the Washington Post. All eight of those Grapefruit League games were complete by 4 o'clock, so in under three hours. The Red Sox and Braves combined to 12 runs, 19 hits, and 8 walks, finishing that game in 2 hours and 39 minutes. The Toronto Blue Jays and Pittsburgh Pirates played in a game where they scored 16 runs on 20 hits and 10 walks. That game took just 2 hours and 47 minutes. So it's a lot faster than the league average 9-inning game last year in 2022. It's 16 minutes quicker than an average 9-inning regular season game in the 2022 MLB season with almost double the average runs scored. Uh, so very impressive that the MLB could obviously cut down time uh, in just by cutting down uh, seconds between each pitch. Per the MLB, and as I said, this comes from a Washington Post article, the average time of the first 19 spring training games was 2 minutes and 30, 2 hours and 36 seconds. The average time of spring training games in 2022 was 3 hours and 1 minute. So 25 minutes uh, quicker this season compared to last season in spring training. As I said, 3 hours and 1 minute last year in 2022 compared to 2 hours and 36 minutes in 2023. The MLB officials... Uh, have implemented this and, and have found ways, obviously, to try to get, get the game to be quicker. 
And they've obviously done that by cutting down spring training games to 25 minutes. Overall, there are 34, or thir- there were 34, I should say, there were 34 violations in the first 19 spring training games. Uh, and that means whether it's a violation on the pitcher or the catcher or it's on the batter, there are 34 total violations in the first 19 games, averaging just about 1.79 violations per game. When the MLB tested the pitch clock in the minus last year, uh, there were 1.73 violations per game. By the end of last season, though, in the minor leagues, there was only about one violation per game. So obviously, teams got acclimated and adjusted to it. So the pitch clock was implemented, obviously, to shorten games, speed up the timing in between pitches, try to create a little more action uh, and not try to have you know as much time in between pitches, try to you know cut to the chase and have action happen, obviously, quicker. But... I do think, yes, it does make the game quicker, and obviously it does uh, you know, obviously end games faster, and obviously whether a pitch is taking too long to throw the next pitch or there's a batter taking time in between every pitch, you know, fixing his batting gloves like David Ortiz would, or there's a pitcher that works very slow uh, in between each pitch, I do think, yes, it does save time, and obviously it speeds up the game, but I do think it also takes away from the game as well. I think baseball, with a unique thing about baseball, and the reason why baseball is so, I guess, hesitant to make changes was that it's just never been a sport that has really adjusted to, you know, what other sports are doing. Obviously, NHL has changed the way they've done overtime, making it three-on-three, try to cut down uh, time in overtime, and then obviously having a shootout after that happened, five-minute three-on-three, and then it goes to a shootout rather than have it be a 20-minute five-on-five and then have it go to a shootout if there's no one that scores in overtime. And obviously, basketball has changed uh, the way they've done some things, even though obviously there's and it's still a ton of timeouts, still seven timeouts uh, for an NBA team each night, along with the media timeouts. But I think they've cut down the amount of timeouts you can carry into the fourth quarter. So you have to use a certain amount of timeouts, or if you don't use them, they just burned, and you don't end up using them going into the fourth quarter. And then obviously NFL has changed some of their rules as well, uh, you know, with challenges uh, and, and stuff along that way. But the N- MLB has been one sport that has been so hesitant to make changes. But obviously now going into the season, they have larger bases, they obviously have a pitch clock. And then also, the MLB also implemented uh, a new rule uh, over this past season, uh, which is a rule to uh, ban the shift. So obviously to try to create a little more offense and try to help the guys that pull the ball a ton that just have gotten unlucky with the batting average being so low since they're hitting into the shift so often. So this, those are three big rules the MLB has you know, obviously have implemented over the past year going into this season, and we'll obviously see what all three of those uh, have and, uh, and how they'll change the game of baseball. I'm not really uh, too invested in, you know, the change in, you know, the size of the base. I don't think that's going to make too big of a difference. Obviously, it might be a little easier now to steal a base since you could dive in and, you know, hit the base a little easier, and obviously maybe you can turn a double play as well a little easier. So it's an advantage of both the guy trying to steal a base, try to get to second base easier. You get closer to second base when there's a bigger base. You could slide a little later maybe, and then same thing, you could turn two maybe a little bit easier uh, and obviously maybe stretch a little more considering now it's a bigger base. So obviously that's an advantage for both teams. Uh, for the shift, it's obviously an advantage for the offensive team. The defensive team obviously now has to uh, change the way they play defense and something that's been a part of baseball now for the last 10 or 15 years. The shift has cut down so many hits and so many runs and cut down so much offensive production and has helped pitches obviously give up less hits and less runs over the past 10 years, the past decade or two. Now that's one thing that's changing. And on the pitch clock, you could ask, who's it going to be more beneficial for, the pitcher or the hitter? I think, personally, it's more beneficial for the pitcher. Because if the pitcher's on the mound, ready to go, they can kind of quick pitch that batter and be ready to go a lot faster. But, with that being said, I do think there's a chance that this could be a negative effect on the pitcher, where pitchers aren't really used to throwing four pitches 
within a one-minute window, three to four pitches. And now they're going to be doing that. I was a pitcher in high school that liked to work quick. I would probably throw about three or four pitches in a one-minute window, maybe even five if I'm working very quick one day. Probably about four and a half pitches per 60-second window I averaged with you know no runners on base. I would say I averaged probably about four and a half pitches per 60-second window. I never really had too much of a problem with it, but I know some MLB pitchers might struggle with adjusting to that. Maybe it's going to be too much wear and tear on the elbow. That's one thing you have to worry about. And for a batter, they only can now call timeout, I believe, one time every single at-bat. So if they call a timeout on the second pitch and that count goes to 3-2, and two, they can't call another timeout. So the pitcher has an advantage and can work fast, knowing that that batter can't call timeout again unless they want to take an automatic strike. But I do think it does change the game of baseball in a negative way as well, although there's positives and it does change, you know, obviously the way the game's played. It does save some time. How many more people are going to watch a game of baseball just because it's 25 minutes quicker? That's one thing I think you have to think about. Yes, it does speed up the game of baseball, but are you going to add that many fans by changing the course of the game and trying to you know, save 20 to 25 minutes per game? If you're a Red Sox fan and you're a diehard fan, you're going to watch whether it's three hours or two hours and 35 minutes. Yeah, you get 25 extra minutes maybe of relaxation or 25 extra minutes to get home from the ballpark. If you have kids, you know, you're going out to a game late on a Monday night. Yeah, you can get home a little quicker if it's you know, obviously a two-hour, 35-minute game. But I'm saying for fans that aren't fans of the game of baseball in general, and they don't really care about baseball at all, are they going to be more interested in going to a baseball game now than they were before? I don't think so. I think it might take away from the average fan. I mean, there's going to be some diehard fans that go either way. They're happier with it being a quicker game since, you know, 7.05 games go past 10 o'clock, and now they might finish by 9.30, and you obviously get to bed quicker and obviously get home faster after the ballpark. But you might have some fans that aren't a fan of that and feel like baseball's now a time thing, like it's a, like it's a game based around a clock rather than it just being an untimed thing where the beauty of baseball is that there's no time. The game could go two and a half hours or go four hours. Obviously, you never want to be at a game going four hours, especially you know if your team's down or you know let's say there's a rain delay. Those are different circumstances. But you never really want to be at a ballpark for four hours or so if your team's down, let's say. But if it's a playoff game, you're going to stay there no matter what the circumstances are. But now playoff games are probably going to be around three hours, three hours, three hours, 15 minutes. Everything in baseball now is going to be cut down. And the way I feel about it is if you're a big fan, a diehard fan, you're going to be at that game for three hours or four hours no matter what happens, probably. Unless you have kids or something at the game or you have something to do the next morning early. But I do think it takes away from the game of baseball. What do I do? Because baseball has been a sport that was just based around when the pitch is ready to pitch and the, and the bat is ready to be in the batter's box. It's really just been that for so long. Where the beauty was you could take 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 40 seconds between every pitch. But obviously there is a positive to it. The games end a lot quicker now and, uh, and it's a lot Faster pace of play, but I do think it changes the game of baseball and takes away the, the, the nature of baseball, which was a timeless event. When now it's on a time clock, it just seems rushed, and you can no longer really game plan. And that's the thing. I feel like it takes away where you have a pitcher that might take 35 seconds between every pitch. Now they only can take 20 seconds, which, yes, it does speed up the game, but now they have to make decisions quicker. And what happens if you don't have the catcher pitcher on the right wavelength and they're not agreeing on a pitch call? What happens then? You obviously can call timeout and have you know mound visit, but now your mound visits are limited as well since you only got, I think, six or seven a game. Now you're going to start using them a lot quicker. So we're going to see what happens in baseball, but as of now, the pitch clock has cut down spring training games by about 25 minutes, uh, which is obviously impressive, and that's what the MLB was going for. Now one thing I want to talk about um, is BC basketball 
Uh, before I get the sports guru on, I'll probably get him on in about five minutes. Let me give him a quick text. I'll be back on with you in just one second uh, to talk about BC basketball before getting the sports guru on. So I'm back on here. The sports guru will be on in just about five minutes. I'm going to have a quick recap of BC basketball over the past week, and then I'll get into talking about the NHL trade deadline and give my thoughts on what the Bruins should do, along with Mike Kerr, the sports guru. He will be on, as I said, in just about five minutes. So let's start with a BC basketball, uh, and, and then I'll get the sports guru on. So BC basketball, they defeated the number six team in the country last week at home at Conti Forum in the Virginia Cavaliers. Beating them last week was a huge win, probably BC's biggest win over the last five years or so, uh, very impressive uh, win for them considering BC's been struggling over the past, I don't know, 10 years or so in the ACC. Uh, they really really haven't had much luck. And, and one thing for them that was impressive in that win was that they shut down UVA offensively and defensively. Where BC is putting up points offensively, which that's something they had to do in that game. They obviously had to score a ton of points and that's what they did. But obviously to beat a team like UVA... You have to play very good defense, even though UVA is a better defensive team than offensive team. But they end up winning that game. Um, that's probably their biggest win over the last 15 years. Uh, as I said, BC basketball really has too many trademark wins over that stretch. But they beat them 63-48 to last Wednesday night, outscoring UVA 35-27 to in the second half, winning the game 63-48. to BC basketball shot 52% from the floor. UVA just shot a season-low 32%. BC shot 40% from three to UVA's four of 21, which came out to be 19% from three for, for UVA. And after I give a quick recap of this game, uh, the sports guru come on, as I said, in just about two minutes. I know he's got something to do at 7.50. So in that game, BC wins that game by 15 points. That's their biggest top 10 win in the last 22 years. They beat UConn in 2001, who was number 10 in the country at the time, by 17 points. BC ends up beating... UVA by 15 points, uh, so their second biggest top 10 win in the last 22 years. So very impressive. BC's now 6-4 and four in the last 10 games. Obviously, I said, shut UVA down defensively, and obviously, BC could obviously score in that game. Uh, BC outscored UVA in the paint, 34-20. to 20. That's one thing they did very well, is dominated UVA in the paint. Makayash and Lankford was huge in that game for BC. 6-9 from the floor, 16.6 rebounds, 4 assists, to go along with 2 steals. Jamal Lankford was 5 of 5 from the floor in that game with 12 points, 2 rebounds, 2 steals off the bench. So both Lankford brothers had very good games and obviously helped BC get that win. And one thing that helped for BC was that they got to obviously get this big win and now they find themselves at 14 to 15 on the year. Get a lot of momentum heading into the last two games of the season. And they obviously got the student body involved, which BC basketball has probably been the most impressive sport of any of the BC sports so far. So obviously BC base was off to a hot start. They're 5-1. But you're not going to really get too many students at every game. And you're not going to get as big of a following as you do for hockey or football. Football obviously struggled this year. They were 3-9. Basketball's, you know, obviously 14-15 now. Just about 500. Coming into the year with good expectations. They're right around 500, which is pretty good. And then BC hockey is, you know, the bottom third of the hockey East this year. So BC basketball, getting the student student body involved. Very impressive start of the season, and getting that win last week was a huge win, and they actually let the student body storm the court, which I got to do, which that's actually my last game at BC with the entire student body. Um, obviously, BC will be playing one more game at home this Saturday, March 4th versus uh, Georgia Tech, but all of uh, you know the students will be gone for spring break. So I think I will be going to that game uh, with my dad and probably a couple of his buddies, but it won't be the same, obviously, without the entire student body there. But that's the last game for every single BC senior uh, at Conti Forum. And obviously BC going out with a win is obviously a very impressive way to go out with it. So Earl Grant, credit to him in that BC program. 
I'll give a little bit more on them after I have the sports guru come on in just one second. Probably in the last 10 minutes of the episode, I'll talk about BC basketball and give you guys some updates on some sporting events in the next few weeks to keep your eyes on uh, in the next few weeks. Here he is, a sports guru, Mike Hurley, joining the podcast, joining the radio show. Let's go. Long-time listener, obviously, <laughs> and a long-time guest of the show. How are we doing, Mike? Pretty good, yeah. Long-time listener, uh, frequent caller, but it's been a little while. It's been a little bit. It's been some time, but you're still, obviously, you know, in the loop with everything I've been doing, and you've obviously uh, been contributing, whether you're texting uh, or live on the show. So I appreciate your contribution always, so thank yeah. you for coming on tonight. <laughs> obviously, I gave you the answer ahead of time. I told you that the Chiefs would pull out the win. You did say the Chiefs. I'll give you that. You did say the Chiefs, even though you didn't want them to win. You were rooting for the Eagles. That's right. That's right. Opposite feeling. You were rooting for the Eagles. Unlike me, I was rooting for the Chiefs, but I thought the Eagles would win. So we're on two different wavelengths there. But uh, you were right about Patrick Williams and Travis Kelsey bringing home that Sewell victory. Uh, So now we have some you coming on during the week of the NHL trade deadline. Big week in the NHL. Big week for the Bruins. Mm -hmm. They've already made some moves. Obviously getting Orlov last week and Hathaway from the Washington Capitals. What have you seen out of the Bruins over the past week? And then you can give your thoughts of the NHL trade deadline. What do you think yeah, of the deal? It was a surprising move because everyone had uh, been talking for weeks that the Bruins were going to get that Gavrikov guy. Yep, on, I uh, saw that. Columbus, but I actually, I'm not as familiar with him as I am with Orlov and Hathaway just because we play them more often and we play them in the playoffs. So They're physical I guys. Think- I know you're not a big Hathaway fan, correct? Uh, I'm, I'm becoming a fan, you know. He's got the right colors on now, so. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, he's, he's a physical so guy, right? He's aggressive. more of a fan. <clears throat> but, he likes um, to hit, no, right? Or- Orlov's a good player. And uh, even Orlov took out our boy Kevin Miller with a questionable check. I and, remember uh, that. Both of them had some big yeah. hits against the Bruins over the years, correct? So Yeah, Hathaway tried to take out uh, Marshawn last year, and he did take out um, Tenorti, <clears throat> oh. who was kind of a fringe player, but. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, it's still though, a physical guy, obviously. But you, you want that presence on your team. It's like a Marcus Smart, Draymond Green. You like them <laughs> yeah, when you're you on the team. you got to have some deterrence out there, you know? Brad Marchand, right? So, you like when he's on your exactly. team. But if he were, wasn't on your team, you probably wouldn't be a big fan of him. But, well, Marchand's a little different because he actually produces a lot of offense. So. He does. He's a very likable player, too, if, you, if you're a Beast fan, obviously. You know what I mean? But I think I think a fan in general. Let's say you're a Toronto Maple Leafs and you're probably not a big fan of him. Canadians, you know, obviously a rivalry. You're not going to be a fan of a guy that's... You know, as colorful as Marshawn. Yeah, especially obviously. guys that you go up against in the playoffs. You know, you just kind of you grow to hate the team that you're playing against for a whole series. Definitely, it's just the way it is. Definitely, it would have been like the Celtics back in the '80s getting like James Worthy or something. You know, you just don't want him on your team. But he's a good player. Definitely, I'm with you there. So that's obviously um, a positive. But, get both and those I like Orlov. He, he actually showed up pretty well last game. He uh, took the puck off McDavid one time, led to a goal. So yeah, um, McDavid. McDavid was unreal last player. night, huh? Connor McDavid is unreal. Two goals last night, oh, but yeah. he's got the win. It's fun to watch. Game. I mean, we only get to watch him a couple times against the Bruins each year, but it's two fun times, to watch right? A guy like that every night, fly around. Hey, I mean, there was a big win for the Bees. Now they've won seven in a row and beaten a team with Drysaitel and obviously McDavid, two of the best yeah. you know players yeah, in hockey. It's uh, impressive. I got a developing take on him. I don't think he hustles as much as McDavid. He probably doesn't. He's, he's, he turns the puck over a little. He was like cross-checking Bergeron and stuff, and he didn't really have a great night. I thought, you know, he he was just another guy out there. McDavid, you always notice him. Isn't he better at faceoffs than McDavid though? Uh, neither of them are that good. Neither are great, obviously. But I think he's better. Uh, at McDavid's face-off, a sub fifty percent guy. I mean, the Bruins yeah. are a good faceoff team, but. They beat them last that's, night, that's, I think, That's right? a deficiency in his game. Did Edmonton like, beat them? Uh, Edmonton, they could use an Orlov and uh, Hathaway. Definitely. For sure, yeah. They don't really have this. I mean, they play with a lot of speed, though, Edmonton. So they probably could use another physical guy. They play with a lot of quickness, um, which obviously that's what you, your team with McDavid, that's what you're going to do. You need to build around him. 
Yeah, you got to have everything, though. You got to have quick. You got to have strong. You got to have, you know, otherwise a team's going to be able to find a weakness and beat you. Definitely. So I don't see Edmonton doing anything in the playoffs. If anything, they might regress. Uh, they did just get, I think, Matias Ekholm, but. Yes, they just made that deal they, today, Terrain Tyson Barry. Yeah. Which Barry was yeah. playing last night, so it's interesting. I mean, I know in hockey they don't yeah, do Barry's that. Yeah, Barry's a little much, offensive. I think he came from Colorado. He did, yeah. I had him in fantasy a couple of years ago. He's a, they're, they're a finesse team. Yeah, they had him, they had him for a couple of seasons, right, in Edmonton, I believe? I think so. I think he might have been out there for like the last three, four years. Three years, yeah, three years. Ten goals, thirty-three assists, forty-three points on the year. Third year now with them. Played one year at the Maple Leafs in twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, before playing yep. ten years probably with the Avalanche. It looks like maybe eight years with the Avalanche. Uh, yeah, I don't know if he's that old, but um, eight years with the Avalanche. He's thirty-one years old, so not that okay. old. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, he's more of an offensive guy, like you said. But mm. they made that deal think, today. Uh, yeah, I mean, no matter what they do, they're just not going to be able to get. At some point, you have to draft and develop and build enough of a base on your team. I mean, think about it. They got McDavid and Drysaddle, two of the top point scorers in the league the past, like, five years. Number one and two and this year in points. they still get bounced from the playoffs routinely, you know, swept even. Definitely. Um, I think they got swept by Winnipeg Jets one year when they were, you know, setting all these records. And then last year, I think they got bounced in a couple rounds, so... And this year, it doesn't look like they're going anywhere either. The goaltending's really suspect. Defense is... Mike Smith was decent last year in that run they had, though. He was, I know he's gone yeah. now, but he was yeah, decent but he's in that old, run. he's an older goalie, too, you know. They got Skinner now as their starter, right? So. Oh, yeah, he did not do too well last night. <laughs> did have a great game. Oh, that that one goal, though, I don't know if it was fault. The deflection one where... Uh, who tipped that in? That was... Is uh, it Clifton? Zaka. Zaka. Zaka tipped that in. Zaka, you're right. Zaka. Pavazaki. Yeah, that was that was a tough play. I don't really blame him for that. The D's got to hit that puck yeah, out. But, yeah, the D's got to hit that puck net, out. Yeah, pretty bad net front coverage. I think we're in the zone for like 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> but the B's, I mean, that's one thing they do well, though. They, they get quality shots on goal, and they force you know deflections and get goals off that. So mm-hmm. the more you rip them, rip you know, shots on goal, it helps. But, yeah, Ekholm's not a bad addition to that lineup considering they need some D help. And obviously Barry's more of an offensive guy. But Ekholm... Not really much. Five goals, 13 assists, 18 points in 57 mm-hmm. games. This year, but he's a defensive defender. Yeah, better defender. Yeah. You probably need that on that team anyways. So, yeah. 32 years well, old. And, and the thing with the NHL is you got that high salary cap. So, McDavid was the highest paid player in the league. Now it's uh, McKinnon. But, yeah. I mean, Dryside will just take up too much of the cap. So Well, you got to pay those guys. Points. They're too good. Like, yeah, I mean, you got to pay them, but they're not going to. You know, who else can you pay? You can't get Charlie McAvoy on that team for $9.5 million. <laughs> won't be able to fill out a roster. Well, that's probably why they have a mid-tier goalie, right? Because you really can't pay anyone. Exactly. You know, exactly. that's the problem. Uh, but, I mean, that's that's the thing with hockey, right? The high cap, you really have to budget what you want and what you don't want. You know, value yep. it. You know, and that's, Even with a couple of loopholes out there, like Tampa Bay uh, took advantage of. Putting guys in the IR. Yeah. It works, though. It works. But you're going to get into the playoffs, so you can only put guys on IR if you know you can make the playoffs anyways. Definitely. Definitely. Especially in the East this year, right? You really can't screw around much. Well, uh, in East the East is absolutely loaded. I have a – my hunch is that all these teams are loading up just to try to compete with the Bruins. Yeah, um, there's a chance. And because the Bruins are running away with first place in the division, at least, um, that means Toronto and Tampa Bay already know that they're going to play each other in the first round. It's a rematch of last year. And uh, Tampa took that in seven games. So Toronto is going all in. They're trying to get Ryan O'Reilly and all these guys. So <laughs> I think the I think the GM up there is on the hot seat. So he just you know he's emptying both barrels to try to get out of the first round. <laughs> that's that's what it's about, though, right? I mean, that's what the Rangers are doing right now, too, right? They're going all in. Yeah, Rangers going. I think Toronto's better than the Rangers. I would agree with that. I would agree with Rangers, that. Rangers have better goaltending, uh, maybe. Just better defense, but 
you know, if you're looking at Matthews, Tavares, and O'Reilly as your top three centers with, you know, Nylander and Marner, like, that's a lot of offense right there, so. Tavares, my boy. Yeah, and Mitch Marner's a beast, too. But I've always been a big John Tavares guy. But, yeah, you're right. You're not wrong about Toronto. I think they're going all in, too. I mean, they're, they're on a hot streak now, 7-3 and three of their last 10. Bees have won seven straight, though. Very impressive. Yeah, uh, they're on tonight. The deadline. We'll hopefully get another one. Nine o'clock versus Calgary. Calgary's pretty good this year. They're decent. Yeah, Calgary is pretty good, and they're on the outside looking in, so they'll be hungry to get a win. 27, 21, and 12, uh, 66 points. Yeah. Wild first, team right now. Yeah, I think they're the first team out. Yep. Outside. They're, yeah, they got they're, a couple, yep, first team out. They're down four points. But uh, right now they're 3-4-3 three, and three in their last 10, so that's not a great stretch for them heading into this game. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, they're not. They, that's a team that had a lot of turnover because they lost control. They traded Matt Kachuk because he said he wouldn't resign. Yeah, so. I saw that. Yeah, Kachuk's yeah. gone, and then obviously yeah, Gaudreau, which Gaudreau they should have paid. I don't know. They didn't really really try. I don't think he want. He wouldn't resign. He's that, that way, um, I was they offered really try. Him money. Okay, I got you. Yeah, it seemed like so he just wanted out. Actually, in hockey, it's like your team can sign you for eight years, and another team can only sign you for a maximum of seven. Okay. So, so they try that, to give a little advantage to, like, the team that drafted you. Same thing with Pasta that, then, right? It'll be that same exactly. thing. Exactly. So the Bruins could always give Pasta the eighth year, and uh, no other team can give him eight. Which They can only give seven. Which, what do you think happens there? You think he gets eight for 11? I think you have eight for 88. Yeah, I, would, I hope so. Um, <laughs> I think he could go up and be the highest paid winger in the league, which I think is right now Panarin. I think he makes... Just under twelve million. So, oh, geez. Wow. I mean, if Pasta got twelve, it's probably not out of the question, especially because he's a better goal scorer than Panarin. Yeah, um, he gets eleven. I mean, it's really like, if you look at around the league, Pasta the best. He's the best shooter in the league. Um, second best goal between him, best him Ovechkin, and Stamkos, probably. But he's by far the youngest, and right now he's got the most goals out of any of them. Yeah, he's, he's got a much better shot than McDavid. I mean, McDavid. Hey, got McDavid's that. got fifty goals though. He's got 50 goals, but it's mostly because of his legs and skating. It's not because of his shot. Which I got, he's got he 50 goals, shot, 115 like, points, which is nuts. Yeah, he's mostly just snapping them, you know, five-hole and stuff like he did. He dangles. Night. He dangles, right? That's, that's Yeah, a, he's, he tuck, he's tucking it into the empty net because he just skates circles around people. But on the power play, he got Pasternak with that big bomb, the one-timer. So. Yeah. <laughs> not yeah. many guys can shoot it like that. Um, no, Pasternak, yeah, Pasternak, you know, hits a fastball every time, you know. A bullet. Yeah, so, and I mean, I think McDavid for some reason just really wants to score a bunch of goals this year. It seems like that's he's on a mission. But he was he scored two goals last night, and he was an even rating. So he was also on the ice for two goals against. That's tough. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, yeah. as we said, that we just pointed out though, they don't really have much besides Drysaitel and, and obviously uh, McDavid. They don't really have the money to spend on a defense, a good defenseman, or, or a great goalie. Yeah, and Which, yeah. I mean, the Bruins now. The thing I like is that they got Lindholm last year. You got McAvoy signed. The I mean, Bruins are so Orlov, deep. Clifton They're just so deep. Is a real budget guy, Grizzlick. Even Forbert's pretty good on the PK with Kyle. So. Which Grizzlick's in the lineup. Really tonight. deep, really deep on defense. That's usually a good playoff structure. Grizzlick's in uh, tonight, and then it is Kyle out. Kyle out. What's a carousel, huh? That the defenseman. Who's someone's in, someone's out every game. It seems like. Yeah, I mean, I think at, at this point you got to play Orlov as much as you can just to get him acclimated to the system. Because that, that's the plan, right? Probably. Yeah, down in Washington, I guess they play man-on-man defense in the zone, so he usually chases his guy up the wall or around got the net. You. But the Bruins, they pass guys off. Yeah, definitely. So it's different. Orlov was on the ice for a goal against the first game, and that's because I think he misread his assignment or something. But he'll go with the program. It's a lot tougher to learn a new defensive structure than it is for Hathaway who just like, you know, he's skating in to go four check. And, yeah. Just a forward. You know, yeah. 
cycle the puck and attack the net. It's was he, is he a left wing or right wing? Hathaway's a left? He, he's a righty. righty? He's right. right wing. Got you. Okay. I think he can probably play either side. Yeah. Um, it's helps. more just his play style that matters. Yeah. I mean, you know? it brings aggressiveness to the, to the ice. That's what you need, right? You need someone Yeah, big body that. hits. I mean, he's got, he's got like 200 hits. I think Clifton led us in hits with like 150. Clifton. So, yeah. Clifty hockey, huh? Yeah, and it's usually like you got to have a guy like Hathaway to go hit the other team's top defensive players so that next time Bergeron and Pasternak are on the ice, you know, maybe that defenseman is a little winded. Definitely. Yeah. You know, our D-men mostly hit their forwards. Our forwards hit their D. Definitely. Four-check. So, like, you got to have some forwards you can hit. It's a different system, right? Coming over to the bees. I mean, but one guy that adjusted very well was Lindholm. Hampus Lindholm came over and he adjusted very well as the best plus minus in the NHL this hockey, year, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, which is which is nuts. But that's well, one thing. Bobby Orr will tell you, plus minus is a team stat. It <laughs> is. Play with good players to uh, have a good plus minus, but that's one of the uh, Bruins have. The other thing that helps him is he he came to the team last year, but he's had a full season with us this year. Yeah. So he's had a little extra season know. and a half, right? Yeah, he's a good player. Though. He's great. Gets all over the ice. He's not as physical as like a McAvoy or Orlov, but he's great with the puck. Great passer. Grizzlick's playing more physical than him too, right? I'd imagine. No, no. Lindholm's got more size than Grizzlick, and he's better at like angling people off. Grizzlick will hit um, though a little. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Clifton hits more than probably. Yeah, Clifton leads the team in hits. So yeah, I was like, he's a bigger body, right? Too, also it helps. Yeah, I mean, McAvoy's the best hitter on the team. He catches guys in open ice and yeah. along the boards everywhere. I mean, like he's Brad. also a big body. Like, Brad Marchand too, though, hits guys in the in the middle of the ice. Yeah, Marchand is good. He's underrated hitting, but he's mostly on the forecheck type of guy. You know, yeah, get in exactly. up under guys or you know hit them, but definitely. Uh, yeah, no, these, these two guys should be good. They should be adding an element that we sort of lacked last year. So. Definitely. They're not going to be counted on to score goals every night, you know? Like on the uh, Capitals down there, they had to do a lot more. I think Hathaway's got like nine goals this year, which for a fourth lineup, that's pretty solid. Not bad, yeah. Not bad. You know, he, could end, he could end the year with like 14 or 15. For the Bees, though, I mean, they have so much depth, right? That's one thing that you don't really you don't really need much goal scoring help. I mean, nine goals, eight assists, but 17 points. In the playoffs, Hathaway. you do want to have a little, you want a little offense out of the bottom six. You do. So between Felino, Coyle, I mean, if. If you want to count Hall as a bottom six guy, he's more or less a top six guy. But you got to have some consistent scoring, series to series. You know, maybe not every game, but somebody's got to chip in. Definitely, no, it's part of hockey, right? You need you, yeah. need you need all lines to be playing, obviously great. But that's one thing the Bruins have; they have the best depth I'd say in the NHL. I don't I don't know if it's really close. Yeah, certainly on defense. Um, I think the only place that we're actually thin is, you know, if anything happened to like Bergeron or Krejci. Yeah, or Pasta. Center, center position's a little thin. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, if something happened, Apostas is killing it with the goals. He's got twice as many goals as the next guy on the team, yeah. which is Bergeron with 21, I think. Hey, what about uh, your boy Nick Felino? He's been he's been crushing it. He's been killing it. Good goal last night. Yeah, yeah. big yeah. goal. Big goal. That's Hey, that's one guy that's that almost didn't make the up. team. Don Sweet deserves a little credit. He, he almost didn't make the team. Yeah, he was waved to begin the year. Yeah, and he obviously came back and obviously made a big contribution to the team early on, and we kept him. And that's one guy, obviously, the Bruins got in the last year and a half just about. Lynn Holmes, another guy. So it's two big yep, pieces there. Both those guys. Yeah. So what yeah, I mean, Lin, the Lindholm contract is great. I mean, he, he's not making nearly as much as McAvoy makes, but he's going to be here seven years. The same it? length of time. So oof, it's a seven year deal. There. I think it's eight actually, eight? seven or eight. Got you. Yeah, because so when we traded for Lindholm, right? Then the Bruins now have his rights. Yeah. Then you can re-sign him for the full deal. But if he, if he was just a free agent, 
and the Bruins essentially cast like a free agent bid at him, we can only give him seven. So if you get a guy at the deadline and usually you can work out a deal before free agency hits, then you can get that eighth year. Got you. I see. Yeah, I think it might have been eighth. I mean, right here. Let me see. What do you think about that trade today? Uh, uh, which I know you got to go in a minute, but uh, Pat- uh, Patrick Kane getting traded to the Rangers. How do you feel yeah, about that move? It's not quite official yet, right? It's just because they're on a third team. I think Arizona. Some of supposed to join in. So they probably need something for the money. Yeah, yeah. I don't. You know, it's it's cool. Um, it'll be cool to see Kane in the playoffs again because he's a good playoff performer. But I don't know. I don't think that it's going to really move the needle on the, getting the Rangers to the Stanley Cup, um, barring I, injury to a good team. I, would agree I, with you I there. still think Carolina has a little more than they do, and the Bruins certainly do. So to yeah, they got a good goalie though. That's Shesterkin, like you said. They, but I think yeah, one thing yeah, that helps, good. one that helps them with is obviously goal scoring. I think they're eleventh right now in the NHL in goals, which is good. But it's mid tier, obviously, considering you probably want to be top five, top six to be you know comfortable in the playoffs. But one thing that's going to be crazy is their power yeah, play. Good line. The power play and whatnot. But I mean, they got a lot of guys who like to hold the puck. I mean, Panarin's a puck possession guy. Tarasenko, a puck possession guy. Tarasenko is not as much. I think, uh, who's that other guy? Zibanejad? Yeah. Is. That, that'll be the power play one. Vladimir right. Tarasenko, Mika, Zibanejad, Patrick Kane, Terry Panarin, then probably Adam Fox. Kane right? and Panarin, though. You forget Panarin came up uh, with the Blackhawks. Blackhawks, yeah. Kane, yeah. Former That's teenagers. sort of how he made his payday. They didn't really give up much to get him, though. Conditional second-round pick could be a first if mm. they go to East Coast Well, you know what? They probably don't think that they're going to re-sign him or something. Who knows? I mean, do you, who took on the money? I don't really see anything there. You'd have to imagine that. I think New he makes like ten million bucks a year. That's probably why it's not done yet. You know, they got to yeah. figure out. I think Arizona's going to join gonna in. If they're going to keep the Rangers under the cap, they're going to have to bring in another team. Arizona to some money. Um, I bet the Blackhawks will probably keep some of it. Yeah, ten million's a lot, right? I mean, he's still a good player, but not the player once was. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Sixteen goals, twenty-nine assists, forty-five points on the year, but he's not the player once was. But he did finish his last four games in Chicago with seven goals. In his last four yeah, games. Yeah, he was lighting it up. I think he had a hat-trick uh, recently. Yeah, he did. Too. He did. Uh, yeah. About like a week or two ago. And then they shut him down for a week, probably getting ready to trade him, right? So Yeah, that's probably the last couple of games he didn't play. Yeah, didn't. Which, you thought there was a chance he was going to be a B, or you at least wanted him, right? Mm, no, I didn't think so, but of you course he was like the biggest name out on the market, so there's always a little chatter, right? Like, what if we could get Patrick Kane? Um, we probably would have to give up, like I said to you yesterday, we'd have to give up like Taylor Hall or something. Definitely. So at that point, then you're bringing in a new guy. You got to see who he fits with chemistry wise. I mean, definitely. It's always good to find a a good player, a spot on your team. But um, for sure, it's a good problem to have. But you know, I, I don't know. They're going to stick with what we have. I think the Bruins could still make another move. Yeah, knows? you think they make another move? What would be what would it be for in your opinion? Because they obviously got two I mean, defensive guys all along. Last night, uh, Nosek. I was thinking got a goal. before he came back. Yeah, it was a pretty good goal. Well, Happen, mm-hmm. but um, I don't know if we could get a guy like Sezikis from the Islanders. He's already got a big contract, so we probably wouldn't be interested in him. But your boy, a guy who's a little bit same type of player as Nosek, just a little bit better all around. Maybe a little more offensive touch. Definitely, you know, you've been a big Sezikis guy. Kills penalties is kind of what we need because the rest of our centers are all righties. Yeah, except Frederick, I guess, but he's not. He's not really a true center uh, yet, anyways. You've been a big Sezikis guy for some years now. Four goals, ten assists on the year, but you've been a fan of him for a while. Yeah, he's good. He's a good player. I mean, when they beat the Bruins in the Stanley Cup playoffs, he was big reason why. So yeah, I forgot about that actually. Yeah, he was a good player. He's a good. I mean, he's a good player overall. This year's not been his best year scoring wise. Only four goals. <laughs> he only had six last year, but. 
He's capable of putting up 20 goals like he did in 2015, 2016. Yeah, I think a little more of an eye test player. I mean, the Islanders are starved for offense. They just don't put up many goals per game. So you figure if he was on a team with better surrounding cast, he'd probably have some more points. And he's usually deployed as a shutdown guy, so. Definitely. I mean, he's a good player. What is he, third line, you said? Fourth line? Yeah, he's a third, fourth line guy. I think right now he's playing up third line because somebody's hurt. A couple guys are hurt, but. Where would he fall on the on the bees? Do you think third line? Oh, he'd be the fourth line center for sure. Fourth line center, but um, hey, it's good to have a. If you can put out your fourth line center against uh, one of the other team's top two lines, just as a checking line, yeah, uh, it's it's a good luxury to have. Definitely, because if you have to hide your fourth line from the other team's top players, because oh no, if like you know, if no six out there against Crosby in the first round, and it's a bad matchup for us. You know, then you're afraid to ever put your fourth line out there because if you're on the road, the other team gets the last change. They can always get the matchup they want. Exactly. That's what he was so about. tough last year against Carolina. And that's you know, they got to they got to put whoever they wanted against that Bergeron line. Um, so yeah, I think this B team's like, different though. I wouldn't really worry as much this year. I mean, that, the team's so deep. Yeah, and a lot of the matchups are having depth so that anybody on the ice is you know got good. You got a good five spot out there. Definitely. And you, you mentioned about the Isles. They struggled to score goals. That's why they went to go go get Bo Horvat, right? He's five goals, three assists, eight points his first 11 games. But Beauvillier... Yeah, he's having a career year, right? Yeah, he is having a really good year. But Beauvillier, who they traded to get him, has six goals, five assists, 11 points in 11 games for Vancouver. He's got <laughs> one more goal than Bo Horvat had with uh, the Islanders. But I think part of that is probably Beauvillier's getting more playing time now. He's obviously on a team that's you know doesn't really yeah, have much to play for. Yeah, I think he's top line or something. Too. Yeah, he's on a team that's right? not playing you know, really for much too. You know, so probably yeah, is, he with, is he with JT Miller or yeah. Elias Pedersen? You know, yeah. Those guys are much more talented offensive players than what you have on the Islanders. I mean, you got Barstow. And you third or fourth line, yeah. <sighs> but uh, the rest of the guys are kind of grindy players. So Definitely. Well, that's why, that's, that's why they went to get Bo Horvath, right? It's a big move. Mm-hmm. But he's got his defense over the years has kind of gotten depleted. Like they used to have Devontae's, they had uh, uh, bunch uh, of guys. Boychuk over the years, years ago. Yeah, oh, Boychuk, good shot. I mean, he's decent offensively. I think he he's been retired for a couple of years, right? Probably, but oh yeah, yeah. 20, 2019, 2020 was his last season. But I then think Chara he had like a too, puck in the eye or something. So yeah, he's been gone for a while. Chara too, they had obviously till last year, right? Chara retired, so. Yeah, I think Trevor was on the Capitals and the Islanders. Yeah. Oh, I also one year, right? At the end. He played yeah. the Islanders at the end of his career, too, right? For a couple of years, three or four years. Yeah, he was drafted by them. Yep. Three or four years. Yeah, just one year last year at the Isles. Two goals, 14, uh, 12 assists, 14 points. But, yeah, I'll see what, obviously, the Bruins do if they were to make another move. But you don't think anything major, right? Something small. Probably small. Yeah, I mean, unless they try to, you know, if you move a prospect and try to get a pick back or something. But I don't see it. Yeah, um, which I don't think they need don't, to do that. I don't think they need to, to go, you know, too crazy. I think. I mean, there's probably there's some teams out there that have been sitting guys out looking to trade them. So if the prices come down, yeah, you know, you got to be an opportunist. Do you think Jonathan Taves gets is good? I'm not going to be upset if there's no more moves. Yeah, I think the team. But I don't want too. them to turn a move down just because they're complacent. You know, I get what you mean. If there's someone available that you can get, why not? But do you think two two questions? Jonathan Taves. Is he possibly moved? And then Eric Carlson. I think Taves is uh, not getting moved. I think they're putting him on long-term injured reserve. That's what it seems like. Yeah, I don't think he's going anywhere. Because he, he's on the last year of his contract, though, but I don't think he's even playing, right? He's, is he hurt? or? Yeah, he's, yeah. It's, I'm not sure if he's actually hurt or what. But Yeah, he's the only guy left, though, from that whole team. He's still dealing with the yeah. Sims on long-term I'm COVID. sure he's got a no-movement clause, so he's 
I think he wants to stay put, so he's going to stay put. 34 years old now, but he's still got long-term COVID, they say, and obviously the last guy of that whole era that won you know, three Stanley Cups. But he'll yeah. probably stay put, it seems like, since he really can't move him, especially he's going to long-term IR. Um, but one other guy, Eric Carlson, having a very good year. I think he, it seems like he's going to stay on the Sharks. I think the asking price is just too big. He's so good, though. 19 goals, 58 assists, 77 points on the year in 60 games. He's so yeah, good, though. I mean, I guess the Sharks still got to put some people in seats, and they did just trade Timo Meyer, so... Yeah, how do you that feel about that guy. deal, too? Yeah, yeah. That's a, that, he went to the Devils, right? Devils. I thought he was going to end up on the Hurricanes, so I'm glad he's on the Devils instead of the Hurricanes because I think the Hurricanes are still a tougher matchup for the Bruins. Yeah, I'm with but, you there. Um, he's, he's a great yeah. on any team. He's he's big, big guy, physical. Good 31 goals. Touch. 31 goals, 21 assists, 52 points in 57 games this year. He had 35 goals last year. 41 points, 76 points, uh, 41 assists, 76 points overall. But he's going to beat the, the goal total. He's only needs four more goals to beat that. He'll beat that oh, yeah. from 35 last year. But that's a big addition for the Devils, though, for sure. I think that's a huge addition because they the thing that they don't have is the physicality to go on the offensive side either. I mean, Miles Wood's a little physical, but he's not gifted offensively. Like Jack Hughes Myers. is smaller. And, and the guy got, yeah, Hughes, um, Nico Heischer. These are smaller guys. Yeah, he's got 25 players, goals. But if you just keep banging bodies with them, you know, they're not going to hold up. They got Palat, too. I forgot they had Andres Palat. Palat. Yeah, I think they signed him this year or last year. Yeah, he's good. He's, he's good. Six, six goals, eight assists, yeah. 14 points a year. putting up the numbers this year. Just 14 points, six goals, eight assists. He's only got $750,000, though. 750 is his cap hit. Not much. Is that right? Yeah, 750 is his cap hit. But Interesting. He's older now. He's 31 now, but... Um, Another guy yeah, they have on that team old, is former B. Yeah, not that old. I mean, hockey can go 35, 36. But Dougie Hamilton, 29 years old there, yeah, 17 Dougie's goals, 40 so... assists. <laughs> hey, he's, he's decent year, though. 17 goals from him. That's pretty good. Yeah, he, he puts up regular season numbers, but he's he's too soft to be a real threat in the playoffs as a defenseman. You know, he yeah. doesn't like to turn his back and go but get the puck out of the corner. So Yeah, they don't really have as much physicality as you said, really. You're not wrong about that. They, but I think, they're struggling on defense, I think. You know, they score a lot of goals, but they let in a lot of goals. Definitely. Although they might be the second best goal differential in the league to the Bruins. So let me see. I probably have that up. Maybe I'm a little wrong about that, but no, they're good though. They they get some. They do not have the McAvoy Lindholm style demon. No, they don't. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, they have the second best for sure. Let me see the West here. Yeah, I mean, I still think you're uh, right. Hedman's probably the best defenseman all around. You're right, second in my best. Opinion, but. Um, Victor and I just like the style he plays with. You know, tough to get the puck from him. He's big, physical, all over the ice. You worry about the Lightning a lot? I yeah, that's gonna be a great series. Lightning, uh, Lightning Leafs rematch. So yeah, oof, I'm glad. I'm glad we don't have to take any part of those two teams. Yeah. Hey, Braden points back healthy too. That's a big. That's a big help for that lineup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Bruins have matched up well with Tampa um, and Toronto. Yeah, both. Fair. Both. Uh, the past couple seasons, so we'll see. Point was injured last year in that playoff run, though. 36 goals, yeah, 33 assists in the year. I don't know who I'd rather watch the points. play in the playoffs. You'd I probably think. rather play Toronto, right? Um, I don't know if I'd want to play. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, always, it's always scary to play the better goalies. So. That's the thing. Tampa's got the better goalie. they got the better defenseman in Hedman. Stamkos, too. He's always team, good. Yeah. He's always good to play. Stamkos, Kucherov, point. Definitely. Yeah, they got uh, yeah, Kucherov, like you said. Kucherov's a stud. Vasilevsky and that. But yeah, Brady points out a year. What a year. But yeah, I mean, we'll see how things go. He beat McDavid in the speed skating once. He did. (laughs) He did. 
He did. Yeah. And McDavid he, might have been in cruise control, but still. He didn't want to do it this year, McDavid, huh? He didn't want to do the speed yeah, skating. Yeah. I think that's usually the young guys all want to do it, and the older guys. Like, McDavid's been in the league, what, like six, seven years now? Six or seven, He just doesn't yeah. want to do it anymore. I mean, he's already, he's already won it, right? Kinda, you got to get revved up for it and actually skate, so. Definitely. I mean, he's already won it multiple times, too, right? Eight years now in the NHL for McDavid, by the way. But he's already done yeah, it. Yeah, you watched him last night. It's like he, he can probably skate faster than anyone if he tries, even just a little bit. So We were talking about him and Bobby Orr. I think, I think he's a obviously speed factor they both had. But yeah, Orr has the power strides, though. I don't know. I know. We talked about that last night. Yeah, I mean, when Orr skated, like, they were whacking him with sticks in the leg and the head and the chest. Like, but you agree, though. It's way different. You, his, can't impede, you can't impede guys anymore, so it's a lot different. But yeah, but McDavid or very similar skating wise, they just glide. They just glide. Well, I think it's like the endurance with the puck that they have that's similar, you know. Like yeah, or could skate circles and carry the puck forever. Four like, minute shifts, right? Yeah, yeah. Four or five minute power so, shifts. Uh, power, that's one thing uh, penalty kill shifts. Similar with you know, he can skate and carry the puck for long distance, long time. What Most was players, the puck's on and off their stick and like, you know, five seconds. A second. Five you know, seconds if you, if tops. If, yeah, five seconds. At the top of like point, yeah. A long time to hold the puck. That Definitely. might be posture not going in from the red line to the net. Definitely. But these guys can hold up a 10, 12, 15 seconds. But didn't you say there was one time Bobby Orr, like a crazy shift, right? Like a penalty kill yeah, shift yeah, or something? The penalty, like, yeah, there's double some right penalty that, kill shift. On a penalty kill, he possessed the puck for 52 seconds straight and then like, scored a goal. He played like four minutes on that shift, right? Something crazy. Yeah. I mean, usually an ordinary shift now is like 30, 45 25, seconds. 35 seconds, yeah. yeah. Depending on obviously the situation. I mean, if you're on the power play, maybe you're out there for a minute, but definitely. That's the thing with the NHL; it's different than it was back then. But yeah, or obviously yeah. playing a much different era than you know what guys are playing with it today. So yeah. it's probably more impressive considering it was against a lot more physical guys back then. It's obviously a different game now. It's even though it's physical now, it's you know more protected well, it, it, today. I guess also then. you can get down to the equipment too. Like they got lighter sticks now, with True. curves and definitely the skates are probably better. <laughs> but more physical game back then, though. I mean, it's physical now still, but yeah, and just the rules are different. I mean, you could. Hook and hack. You could slash, right? guys, and it wasn't called. You know, nowadays, it was like three penalties in a row last night where the guy's stick is just hovering near the guy's hip, and they call it a hook or a slash. So. And there were a lot more fights, too. And there's still fights in today's game. But And one thing you criticized McDavid for was obviously the fighting. But the reason why you don't fight is because you've led the NHL in points, which if you were to win this year, five of eight years in the NHL, you led the league in points. There's no need to fight. And that yeah, it's just, it's just a different game. <laughs> you know? Three straight so, well, years. Back in the day, it didn't matter who you were. You had to stand up for yourself or have somebody there to stand up for you. I think when Gretzky, well, that was a big thing. When Gretzky went from Edmonton to the Kings, they brought his two, like, henchmen who would fight for him. Uh, yeah. McSorley and stuff. Start but, knocking know. people out. <laughs> <laughs> his bodyguards came with him. Hey, my mom made a good point. No helmets years ago, too. So it's even more impressive that he could do and take hits and stuff. Yeah, no helmets. Yeah. Different game of hockey, you know. Now, obviously, they have bigger pads and a little more protected, even though they're awesome. Bobby Orr skated with no socks either. Barefoot. Really? Yeah. What was, what was the reason behind that? Just felt faster or I don't something? Know. Probably, he probably just did it as a kid or something. Felt he just skated up on the lake. Get you. That makes sense. That makes sense. Probably, you know, used to what you're used to, right? So we'll see. But, anyways, I know you got you to go. But um, thanks so much for coming on, Mike. Always a pleasure. Anything else you want to add in before you dip? I know you got to go, so I don't want to hold you too long. Uh, let me think. Maybe a team to watch, or a player to watch, even right on the tra- at the trade player deadline. To watch. Uh, which Carlson's my guy if he were to get traded, but I don't think he's going to get moved. I don't think he's going to get moved. Um, I'd li- I'm just curious to see what the Hurricanes do. I think because that's the closest competition we have. Obviously, they bounced the Bruins from the playoffs last year. So yeah, they're a good team. If we end up getting the uh, grudge match against them, we got to see what they do to add because they lost guys like Vinny Trocheck, who's yeah. a good player for them. 
He's, um, he's good for sure. Yeah, we're going to see what they do to add because they're obviously they're making the playoffs. So They wanted Maya. They wanted Timo Maya. They were trying to get they him. They did. He would have been a great fit down there. Um, but I think the Devils these. probably needed Maya more because they don't have players like him. So Definitely. you know, you got you to try to add where you're deficient. Definitely. I mean, I, I think that Maya deal, it kind of worked out for them, even though they you know got some prospects and stuff returned to San Jose. I mean, if you're the Devils, you got you want to win now. Especially if they resign them, now. You know, They probably have the cast base to do it, so... But imagine, if they get to re-sign Meyer, then good for them. Well, they missed out on uh, Goudreau, right? They wanted Goudreau. Yeah, how many times are you going to take the first or second overall pick? You know, you gotta got to start building the team around the guys that you have. Definitely. At some point. So they, they missed out on Meyer. Obviously, that was a big acquisition that, you know, Colorado uh, Carolina, excuse me, could have got, missed out on. And obviously, Patrick Kane, they probably looked at, I'm sure. They probably looked at everyone, right? Probably. Yeah, probably. And probably they, they, they lost um, the, other, the defensive kid, too, uh, D'Angelo. Yeah. He's on the Flyers, so no D'Angelo, no Trocek. He was an off-season, though, move, right, uh, free agent? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. makes sense. I think they just let him go, yeah. But, yeah, they, they, do you think they looked at Ryan O'Reilly? Probably. They probably looked at Bo Horvath. I mean, you, I mean I'm sure the Bruins look yeah, at these I mean, guys, maybe, too, right? You know, I think Gavrikov still has to get traded, so maybe Carolina just waits them out and trades for Gavrikov. That could be it. That could be it. I mean, at home, I mean, I'm sure the Bruins look at all these guys, too. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about the Devils. I'm sure every team, right, you know, looks at – everyone looks at the price, right? Of everyone, because why not? Yeah, like what they said, the Bruins apparently had a deal on the table for Gavrikov, a first and a third, which ended up going in the uh, Orlov trade. But with the Orlov one, we got Hathaway, too, and we got rid of the Craig Smith contract. So It's lower money, right? Yeah, Hathaway doesn't make much, right? No, he doesn't make much. And we got Orlov, some of his salaries retained by uh, Washington and by the Wild. So. It helps. Yeah, but Gavrikov, he's... He's decent, three goals, seven assists, ten points, but he's more of just a you know defensive defenseman, right? Yeah, he defensive help yeah, he's also playing on a bad team. So yeah, I mean, he's plus minus is minus eight, but that's because he's on a bad team, right? So that yeah. obviously factors in. Which yeah, no one well, talks I'm about. I'm Stanley Cup too, so I'm always partial to a guy who's gone all the way. Definitely, a guy that has uh, experience, right? You always give that. But six yeah. three, obviously, has some physicality. That Bruins team only twenty seven years old, and what would he what would he be though? Do you think third line D, third third D pairing, second Who? maybe? Uh, if Gavrikov, they got him. He probably would have been second pair, yeah, with Carlo, maybe. Okay, yeah, it makes sense. You know, I feel like if you're going to put that kind of outlay to get a guy, you're expecting to play him close to 20 minutes a night, so. Yeah, I mean, he was supposed to move, yeah, to Columbus, forced to trade him, though, right? And it I know, now they're pretty much forced to trade. you got to trade him now. They were asking a high price, but the Bruins made a pivot, so now the Bruins are out of the market. They don't need him. True, So makes sense. The list of buyers is shrinking, I guess. I'm interested to see what they do there, right? Because if you say you're going to trade him, you've been resting him or whatnot, he probably thinks yeah. he's gone anyways. So he might as well move and some him, of right? the, Yeah, some of these other, like, Toronto's already, you know, they're going all in on offense, it looks like. They spent up to go get O'Reilly. Yeah, um, Ryan O'Reilly. Beast. So, like, how many first-round picks are teams really going to move? The Rangers, their defense is pretty decent, and they already are looking like they're adding Kane, Tarasenko. Yeah, that's a great power so, play line, though, huh? But, yeah. Yeah, should be good. But yeah, they already gave well, up. There's a I mean, ton of power plays in the playoffs last year. I was going to say, usually the playoffs, not as many penalty calls, but last year, I mean, so many. Definitely. I mean, it's different, right, every single year to year, right, with how they you know, make calls and stuff, I'm sure. Yeah, the officiating, I guess there's more. Oh, it looks like this uh, Patrick Kane deal is finalized. Who, who joined in? Arizona, was it? Coyotes, yeah. Coyotes, okay. Over, uh, I mean, that's a team that's going nowhere, too, right? They retained about half the money. salary, it looks like. <clears throat> what did they do? Just join in just to choose some money and then take a draft pick? Yep, they took a draft pick, third-round pick from the Rangers. All right. 
I mean, that's a, that's a team going nowhere, right? They're probably the most hopeless team, right, in hockey? Yeah. I mean, they just – they've been playing Arizona State for hockey. I mean, that, that's just too much. Yeah, your home rink should be Arizona apparently, State. Apparently has the best ice in the league, they say. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably easiest to maintain, right? I mean, geez. Yeah, it's a smaller arena, but um, I think they – like, whatever, the cooling pipes Insulation? are like a half inch closer. Is it insulated quicker? It's buried in the concrete because <laughs> they got to make it – you know, it's so hot down in Arizona. Yeah, so, so yeah, have, I guess all the players are saying it's good ice. Better ice quality. But yeah, that's a team yeah. going nowhere. Edmonton's right? supposed to have the best ice, but I guess Arizona State does. Man, hey, why not? Hey, that's a college hockey team too, so I'm sure those guys – I think it would be pretty sick to be going to Arizona State and going to games, right? Be pretty yeah, cool. I mean, well, if you buy a ticket, it's like, yeah, I'm only one of 5,000 people to come see an NHL game. Gets me close <laughs> to the right, close you're in to the there, ice. right? I mean, you're in there. It's you're missing on the ice. Why not? I think it would be pretty cool, though, if – a team ever did that around here, but uh, that's also it's a bad thing too. If a team's doing it, just shows you know, yeah, yeah. it shows your team's just corrupt. You know, if the Red Sox renovate Fenway, they go play at BC for a couple. Yeah, of I see. It'd be pretty cool, but then it would also be you know, your team's going downhill if that if that's the case. Maybe yeah. not, maybe not the rebuilding the stadium, but if you're actually just leaving the stadium you had because you couldn't pay the taxes or whatever, that's just you know, it's 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 a bit. Yeah, that's yeah. They lay payments on the lease, and the NHL is still like the. Uh, the tickets, like the gate, still matters. You know, it's not like the NFL where they can basically do without the tickets, yeah, and still make a ton of revenue from the TV contracts. Definitely. <laughs> so definitely, the fact I mean, that now there's an arena that only fits like five thousand people instead of seventeen or twenty is uh, probably hurts the league revenue. It's sad though. I mean, I mean, they 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 said it was going to be a thing for what a year or two, right? And then they'll I think like, they're in the, yeah maybe like three years, three years, three year deal, and then they'll probably. Try to move to a new arena or find something else, but yeah, it's either move to a new there. arena or move the team. One or the other, sell the team, right? You sell the team yeah, probably helps because when you have that situation, it's just you're not going to win really. It's a rebuilding team, yeah. right? So they have nothing to really look forward to. Yeah, so. I mean, hey, even they've got they've got Tricker in there who he's been dangled as a trade. Is he going to get moved? Yeah, I was like, is he going to get moved? I don't know. They've been sitting him, but they sat him around last deadline too. So we'll, we'll see, see. Then he's got 28 points on there in 36 games. He's a good player. You think the bees yeah. would, would look at him? No need. I think they were looking at him, but now he, he was like the most expensive of the guys that we we're looking at. Well, Carlson's an offensive defenseman, just like him, right? Offensive. Yeah, I think he still has like one or two years at a very reasonable price, like four million or something. So. Yeah, he's good though. It wouldn't be a bad move for the bees. <laughs> yeah, but. I don't know who could afford. I don't know who can afford him. Two years left at four point six million. Team like the Devils, maybe, but two years, four point six million. Now that they got Myers. Yeah. I'm with you there. Chickering that wouldn't be wouldn't be bad though, but um, two years, four point six mil. He's getting paid. Yeah. Edmonton's got to ante up and try to get him. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, they just got Ekholm. He's got you know an AAV of six point two five mil. They already got they're already paying him three years, yeah. six point two five mil per year. It's already a lot of money there in that uh, you know in that deal. They're getting him, and obviously you're already paying Drysital and McDavid. Yeah, I, I think Drysital and McDavid make up like twenty million of the cap. So why do they look at a guy like Ekholm? I mean, not Ekholm, but Orlov. Think about those guys make a quarter of the money on the team. It's just two guys. That's the thing. Then why wouldn't they look at more budget beasts like a, like an Orlov or something? Why do they do that? Well, any guy who's a budget beast is going to take more draft capital, like first picks and stuff. Because teams know in a hard cap league, like if you have a guy who's underpaid because of his contract. It's going to be take a lot more money to, or a lot more assets to acquire that player. Definitely. Makes sense. I get you there. So that's true. Yeah, it's just like in, in other sports, right, where to even the money sometimes or even the you know draft capital, whatever it may be in the deal, you give up more draft capital just to try to even out yeah. uh, you know, the, the transfer and the return. Yeah. 
like Patrick Kane, the reason he was he didn't take like first round picks necessarily is because he makes so much money. It's like it's really tough to move that guy definitely to a team because if you're a contending team, chances are you got a high pay- payroll. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, for sure. I mean, what are you gonna do? Like give up all your first round picks and still have to find a way to move the money around? I mean, what they got in return though wasn't even that much, right? A second round pick and then a fourth round pick. The second I think round it pick can and move up fourth. to a first. The if first, they make yeah. the Eastern Conference Finals, the Rangers. So. Yeah, that's still not that much. They, you know, talent wise, yeah. I mean, he's still, I think he's still a good player. Also had a no movement clause, so he might have said like, "I'll only go to the Rangers." Which that makes means, sense. Like, if the Rangers know that, then they've got some leverage too. That makes sense. That's like Giroux right. last year. He he picked the uh, Flyers or from the, the Flyers to get him. He would have been good up here, but. The Bruins gave an offer, right, or something? He just didn't want it, right? Something yeah, like that. He, apparently the Bruins had the best More money, the right? Table. They offered him more money or something? No, I think it was more assets. It wasn't about the money because Giroux's contract came from the Flyers. Got you. So you're trading to acquire him. you got to take his contract on. Got you. So it's really just about who gives the Flyers the best, okay. like, the most assets. I thought well, we were just chewing more money in the deal, and that's why it would have been. But No, no I, I think uh, because he had a no-movement clause, he got to pick where he went. Got you. And apparently it was between Colorado and Florida, and he he won Florida. So well, Philly did that last year. They, I mean, this year they, they said they, everyone's on the uh, on the line to get traded too. They said every, you know anyone could call and look at them. So guess we'll see where yeah, they, they go. Need help. Yeah, poor Easy E, huh? Mm, tough. Big fly is tough. Guy, well, they got uh, Tortorella now. He's kind of he's a good coach. Keeps him competitive at least. But well, they just get him. Is his first year or second year with them? Second. First year on the co- first yeah, year? first year. Yeah. First year. He's a good coach though. Why not? Yeah. Anything can help, Dark right? Shots. <laughs> yeah, good defense, right? It's important, yeah. definitely. But uh, I'll let you go. I know, I know you got to get going. But thank you so All much right. for coming on, Mike. Always a pleasure. I'll have you on, and I'm going to break down at the end of this episode outlook of sports over the next few weeks. And one thing I'm going to talk about really quick is March Madness. Obviously, will begin by the time I get back. I'll get back March 13th. My next show will be March 14th in the studio. March Madness will begin on that Wednesday, March 15th, with the first four. Perfect. And then, uh, so we'll have you on for that. We'll give our predictions. Two teams, though. We I know you're a fan of. I'm a fan of that could be in the tournament. Or Roberts looks like they could get in. Even if they were not to win their tournament, they could get in just by an at-large bid, which isn't likely, but they can get in even without it. And then TCU, probably be a five or six seed. Those are our boys. I'm, I'm all ears. Yeah, hey. I'm going to have to scan the landscape, You know, read up on some new guys. But... We'll find the new Oral Roberts. And then Marquette, that's a team which we haven't talked about, but I think you like their style of play. I got I to gotta keep an eye on them? Yeah, they'll probably be about a 2 or 3 seed. I think they're the number 6 or 17 in the country right now, but I think they'll even out to be a 2 or 3 seed. But Who's the top scorer in the country these days? Ooh, uh, let me think. That's a good question. That kid in Alabama that has some issues right now, uh, some allegations, something came out about him, and he's, I think he's a top, okay. top scorer. I think he has about 20 a game. Did somebody Obviously. just beat Alabama recently? Or yeah, they fell off. They lost a the game. They did. Okay. You got that right. Let me see. Individual statistic. I want to see points per game. Let me see. That's a good question, though. We got. I got to do my research here. Uh, some kid from Detroit Mercy. BC actually played against Antoine Davis, averaging 28.1 a game. What a beast. The next closest. <laughs> the next closest is 23.4. I don't know if they are. Let me see. But uh, Max Ace missed our boys sixth in the country at 22.3 a game. All right. So he'll, he'll find himself probably be the second or third best scorer. Maybe probably second overall. Zach Eady of uh, Purdue will probably be the first best in March Madness. But let me see Detroit Mercy basketball. But, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how things go. But I know you came on, was it last year you gave your predictions? And uh, even the year before that, we were, you know, giving our thoughts and stuff. So it's always what we do, right? You always got to have your oral. Yeah, we'll do it again. 
Detroit Mercy. Oh, Edie, Edie's up there. I'm yeah, he's a stud. He's a fifth. He's fifth in college scoring. Uh, Detroit Mercy. They're thirteen and eighteen on the year, and they're eighth in their conference tournaments. So they probably won't find themselves in the tournament, unfortunately. But that kid's a stud, though. Walker shooting. Uh, Antoine Davis, twenty-eight percent, twenty-eight percent, twenty-eight points in thirty-one games. He's only six-one too. Must be a great shooter, I'd imagine. He's making it rain. He must be a great shooter, right? You'd imagine to have to be. He's got to be. But uh, Brandon Miller of Alabama. That's what's well, talking about. 49 three-point field goals made. Yeah, that's impressive. That's impressive. 157 free throws, too. Yeah, of... it looks like Ace has 107. He's a good three-point shooter, so 149. That's 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 number one in college basketball, 149 <laughs> three-pointers made. The next closest is 139 to Ace and 107. Oh Just cuffing threes. What a beast. But uh, Jordan Miller uh, – not Jordan Miller. Yeah, his name is uh, Brandon Miller is his name. Brandon Miller, yeah, and that Brandon 29th Miller. in scoring. Yeah. That's the kid that I was telling you about. one of the best scorers in, co- in college basketball. But okay. um, average 19.7 a game. But he just had some you know, situation happen off the court, and he's still playing, though, it seems like. So he's one, one of the better scorers in college basketball. But uh, we'll see, though. I think I think the best overall uh, team in the tournament, or best team that I'm a fan of that would make a run, maybe not the best team overall, because TCU would probably be the fifth or sixth seed. But I know that's our squad. Mikey Miles. <laughs> Mikey Miles. He's having a good year. He's having about 18 a game. Mikey and Eddie, right? What's yeah, Eddie? Eddie Rampkin. Eddie Rampkin. He's a beast. But uh, 18 a game for Mikey Miles, shooting 34% from three, 51% from the floor. So he's Team a junior player, good now, too. Oh, they, yeah. they play hard. They're 19 to 10, 8 and 8 in the Big 12. The Big 12 is the best uh, conference in college basketball this year. So being oh, 8 yeah, and 8. Loaded. Oh, it's, it's stacked. So being 8-8 eight, eight isn't a bad thing. Uh, but Lampkin, our other boy, averaging 6 points, 6 rebounds, 1.2 assists. He's lost a little minutes, but he's also been a little banged up. But 6-11, uh, 300 pounds. We'll see how he does. But uh, they score a lot of points. 76.1 a game, TCU. So we'll see how they do. But uh, definitely have you back on for that. Uh, they're ranked 22 in the country right now as well, which is which is impressive. But have you back on to talk about yeah. that and then uh, maybe talk a little about Bruins. I mean, two weeks from now, we'll be close to the Yeah, deadline will be over. We'll see. Uh, Get towards the end of the season up. and see where we will you know, line up in the playoffs. As of now, obviously, be the number one seed. But we'll see yeah, we're going to play a wild card team most likely. So it could really be anybody. Definitely. Uh, Penguins, Sabres. You know. Could be the Ice. Crosby, Tage Thompson, some good players. You're seeing Tage, what, tomorrow or Thursday? Is it Tage Thompson, Thursday, right? Yeah. Yeah, former uh, UConn Husky. He's great this year. 40 goals, right? Yeah, he's up there. What, 41? 41 goals? Let me see. I'll make sure I get that right before you go. He's but nipping on uh, Pashnok's heels, I think. Yeah, he's right there. He's right there. He's a good player. But, I mean, obviously, 40 goals uh, tied in third in the NHL, fifth in points with 79. But uh, considering, obviously, the Bruins probably have a lot deeper of a team, I wouldn't worry too much about Buffalo. He's a great scorer, but I think the Beast... Yeah, I think we've played them twice already. We beat them both times. I think he had a goal in both those games, so... I think he'd be fine. Yeah, I think he'd be fine against them. He's a lot to handle, but he's just one guy. Definitely. And that's what the Bees do well, right? I mean, they can eliminate one guy if they have to because they're so deep. Defensively, too, and you have Lindholm on one pairing and then you have McAvoy on the other. I mean, you already have two great defensemen on two different pairs, so... Yeah, um, and I mean, a lot of these guys, the best players are centers, so you got Bergeron and you got... Crazy Best two-way forward still? Yeah, I think he. there was like a mid-season poll about Selkie, and he was like 88% of the vote. So He'll win another. It's crazy, though. I mean, he, it's just on a one-year yeah, he deal. Had, he, he had a nice short-handed goal the other couple games ago, too. So. He was on a one-year deal, probably just like, you know, see how things go, and he's still mm-hmm. a great player. So I wonder what they'll do this offseason, but obviously it's a bigger question about okay. the pasta. just going to worry about the postseason first. That's it. You're right. You don't think pasta gets a deal done during the season, right? I don't know. I don't know. I hope so. I mean, I don't know when you start pressing the panic button on that, but 
they got to resign him. I mean, Sweeney just can't draft offense. So no, yeah, he struggled, struggled. He's been he doing well with his... drafting offense. He's pretty decent NHL trade guy, free agent he, guy. Not he's bad. drafted some decent D men. I mean, he's got um, McAvoy, Kylo. I'm not sure if he drafted Grizzlick. He might have been a Shirelli guy, but you know, I'm still in favor of bringing in Jeff Gordon instead of Sweeney. <laughs> Let me see. But if we win the Stanley Cup, Sweeney's obviously not going anywhere. <laughs> Definitely. I'm with you there. We'll see how things go. But, yeah, I'm not sure. Don Sweeney. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to see if he drafted 20, He's him. 2015 drafting on him. So. Okay. Well, that would be Grizzly. I mean, to think of it this way, like, the best forward that he's drafted is DeBrusque, who's pretty good. But you're talking about a draft that had Kyle Connor and... Matt Barzell, and we could add both of those guys. Took sedition, and right? And we don't. <laughs> Took sedition, huh? Grizzly was 2012, so. Sebastian Aho was in that draft. Yeah, Aho was a stud. Sedition yeah. was, what, the second guy taken out of the three? And I think he was the first. The I think first it was Sedition and Saboro DeBrusque. Jeez. Well, DeBrusque is at least a beast. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I could see them trading Zaboro away, too. Now that we got Orlov. I mean, yeah. there's Mike Riley. He's another contract you could try to move. So just start rid of things Craig that Smith. could go out the door for the Bruins, but you know, try to get rid of you know some money, right? That's what they did with the uh, Craig yeah, Smith. And I mean, thing, Mike right? Riley wants to play like NHL hockey right now. He's buried down in Providence. NHL? So yeah. problem is, in order to give him away, you probably have to you know sweeten the deal with something. Yeah, we'll see so, how things like, go there, but yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the AHL teams got good players too, though, right? I mean. I thought my boy Mark McLaughlin should have got some minutes, but they're too good, I guess, the Bees right yeah, now. Yeah, they do. He'll, he'll probably be on the uh, the Black, Black Aces taxi squad when the, the playoffs, playoffs come around. You know, he'll be a depth guy. And then that other guy, too, the prospect that you're a big fan of. Oh, Lysel. Lysel, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't Lysel. know, but they, I wish they could get him in some games up here, but too hot know, right the later now. it gets in the season, it's like, eh, why even why, you know, why even mess with it? Like, yeah, the team's too hot right now. I don't think they do that. I th- yeah, like, I think if you got him some couple games in while DeBrusque was hurt, and you needed to like fill that top six forward spot. Why not let him skate around? He's not going to hurt you too bad. Definitely. Yeah, he's and if he advantage. scores, like it's an advantage you know, him playing time. Even better. Definitely gets a little playing time while he's you know not fully on the team yet, and then when he gets back next year has a little NHL experience. Right, that's what you want. Right. Maybe not. You don't want to rush him too at the same time. Which I don't know. It probably is ready, right? You'd imagine, but yeah. I mean, hey, we see guys come straight out of college hockey and then they play a little bit in the pros. He obviously didn't play that, but. Yeah. At some point, you got to give him a test. I mean, Pasternak came up and down for a little while before he sucked. Yep, you're right, Pasta. And then Brad Moshe was in the AHL for a long time, right? Yeah, he was in the AHL for a while. Krug even was up and down a little bit. Yep. Um, then they ended up you know, getting you know, some good playing time and ended up obviously flourishing, at least from Moshe, right? He, uh, he was in the AHL for so like, long. It, then you know, you so can right the guy. If he comes up in the NHL, plays two games, and doesn't score any points – then when he goes back down to the AHL, it's like, all right, I know I need to work on things. Like, Definitely. Try to motivate him. For but sure. if he comes up and does well, I mean, just adds value to what you got in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's about if what you really, have. If on, he really starts killing it, then keep him on the team. It's about what we have in the NHL team right now, though, right? And I think the Bruins are just so deep, they probably don't think they really, they really even need the help of a, a yeah. experienced guy, which McLaughlin. I, I secretly think that Sweeney's afraid. That if he brings up Lysel and he's not good, that people will criticize his drafting more. But that could be part of it. I mean, because he really has been great, like you said. And Grizzly yeah, was a Shirelli guy. Are, right. are McAvoy and Swayman. Yeah. Did he get pot? No, Pasta was Shirelli. Yeah. Uh, also Grizzly. <laughs> okay, yeah. Pasta was Shirelli. Pasta is one of the biggest draft steals of all time. <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely nuts. What overall did he go? Like 25th or something. 28 or something. Yeah, something crazy. But what a steal, yeah. though, huh? Stud. Yeah, gotta, I think in a redraft, he would have been number one pick. But I'd hey, imagine. Gotta get those guys over now. in Europe, you know, you don't get to see them as much. That's the thing. With basketball, too, the European guys, you don't know as well. You yeah, know, it's a global, a global like, prospect pool. I mean, it's tough, especially when the kids are 18. Yeah, it's impossible to know, for sure. Especially, you know how it's going to translate from a random league in Europe to coming to the NHL, even AHL, because some guys obviously start there for a couple of years and, you know, make their way up. But some guys go from college hockey right to the NHL, though, right? Like Jack Hughes did that, you know? Yeah, so. I mean, uh, even Gaudreau, he clicked over after the junior year, after the BC was eliminated, and then by the next year, he was full-time on the team. Definitely. See, so, yeah, I guess it depends on, you know, if you're ready or not, right, developed. But I guess with Jack Hughes, it helped, right? He went right up and just yeah, started I mean, playing. Yeah, I mean, one and done. Yep. I think I think that's probably what happens, right? You go from, at least for Jack Hughes, he was on the U.S. development team, so you probably play against some similar talent, anyways, to, to what you'd be playing probably the AHL or something, or co- good college hockey team that is. But probably AHL is probably still better than the uh, development team, right? Because those are guys that are professionals. But yeah, I it's mean, similar in than terms NHL. of like hands-on training, though, I bet the U.S. national development team is probably a little bit better. I was say, it's probably NHL training, age. right? But you're playing against college hockey talent, so. He jumped in right away and played, but obviously it's, it's different for every player, right? So we'll see how that goes. But I thought McLaughlin should have stepped in and been on the team this year, but maybe it's maybe it's helping him getting some time. The yeah, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I don't know, tough. When you got contracts like Craig Smith and Mike Riley, hard to sort yeah. of squeeze a McLaughlin in there for enough minutes. And then you're getting guys and in like the offseason. Felino, I mean, if Felino wasn't on the team, then maybe McLaughlin slides in, but Felino's been good. So And Zach isn't playing well, right? And that was yeah, the guy you, needed, you don't want to move the like offseason. Once Felino, a guy like Felino is contributing on the ice, he's so good in the locker room, too. You don't want to get rid of a guy like that. So. Definitely. Great locker room guy. Like, what did you say they call him? Um, Uncle Nick, Uncle right? Nick, yeah. Yeah, I met him. He's a great guy, actually. Don't right, yeah, you too. met him. Yeah. He's really cool, actually. Gave us, me and Mark Walsh a minute or two on Pop Monday. We talked for probably about two or three minutes, which was cool. So, great guy, though. Pretty good. Uh, people. Pretty good value signing too, right? Because he's not really making too much now, is he? Uh, yeah, I guess this year he's he's more or less worth it, but he makes like three point eight million, and okay. I think Krejci and Bergeron combined like make less than that. So, hey, Taylor Hall's talk, getting. You want to talk value? Taylor Hall's getting a ton though, huh? Yeah, he makes six. I mean, that's the other thing about Sweeney being a little overrated. Like he's just lucky that he works for the Boston Bruins, <laughs> <laughs> and that guys like Bergeron and Krejci come back playing for nickels and dimes. Yeah, you're right. Actually, yeah, because both of them got what one year veteran minimums. Yeah, I think open market. They said Bergeron, like on Fagramez, like he he could be making like seven, seven, eight million bucks. I'd say probably seven or eight, and then Krejci probably went get three or four million. Yeah, I mean Krejci was making seven point two, but he he's doing well this year. He's put up, I think, almost fifty points. Yeah, that's, he's good. You know, that's not nothing. Krejci's a stud, yeah, and still great with this with his passing. Right, he's a wizard. Yeah, he's skills. great power play. He's got a good one timer, good passer. Hopefully, they get the. I, I think, you know, 30 out of 32 teams out there could use him on the top power play for sure. So. Definitely. I'm with you. Hopefully the Bees continue to, uh, you know, keep their health, right? Because that's one thing that's been good this season. Most of they started hurt at first, yeah. right? A lot of at injuries this point, that's, here, but yeah, number one priority. It's keeping health. And like you said, the power play has been obviously a killer with, with yeah, crazy yeah, stuff. Yeah. And if they start punching in more power play goals like they were earlier in the year, they'll be running teams out of that. Well, because they were right? – they were struggling in, what, in the last 10, 15 games, but there was a point in, in the beginning of the season like every time they had a power play, it felt like they scored, right? Yeah, and the power play is a big way of, like, they used to get a goal, tie the game, 
go up one, then they get a power play, and it was like, all right, good night. And they're scoring, and this That's is the thing. But they still have like, killer players night, on they, that. They had a five on three. They could, if they punch, couldn't one score, in, right? It's game over. I mean, they still closed it out, but they just wasted time. They were four or five minutes to go, right? So they just wanted to waste. Yeah, time. but then they did. They pulled some funky moves, like they put five forwards out there, and Edmonton had McDavid on the ice, and yeah, they got you can't a two do that. on one. Like Krejci broke it up as the D man. It was a little, <laughs> a little shaky. I mean. If you're gonna just go into shutdown mode and play keep away, then just put two D men out there. Definitely, yeah, I'm with you. You don't want to go. Just have, crazy. You, what's wrong with having Lindholm and McAvoy on the ice? I'm with you. But, hey, they got the win. It's impressive though that uh, you know the bees with all the depth this year, they've stayed healthy for the most part too. And guys have stayed productive. Besides Taylor Hall, right? Everyone's still putting up goals and stuff of that top two line. Yeah, I mean maybe maybe Hall is a little banged up, but if you got depth, you can give him a rest. Like let him get healthy. Definitely. Uh, hopefully, as I said, that's probably the number one priority, right, is fixing the power play, getting a little more momentum in that going into the playoffs and then staying healthy, right? And not looking too yeah. too much ahead. Not looking yeah, too much may, ahead. And maybe a guy like Hall, I mean, he was he had a couple decent games in the playoffs last year. He had a couple goals. Maybe he just needs to switch to flick and be like, all right, fresh start, you know, playoff well, hockey, see if he any chance a mismatch, mismatch uh, on the third line there. With definitely. Hall. I'm with you there. But do you think there's any chance they would have traded him? Or no, you think Hall stays? I think there's always a chance, but what type of team wants him that you are you getting? The, Big cap you know, who's going to want him where you're going to get enough return to keep your team competitive this year? And chew money too, right? Because he's getting, what, six mil? Six and a half or something? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're trading him, you have to give up the whole contract. You yeah. Know, you're not going to eat some of that money for the next, like, five years just to give him up this year. Definitely. So, I mean, I think keep him unless some excellent deal I'd keep him. I'd keep him. I think I think he's more valuable in your lineup than he would be without. Even though he's obviously not playing great, I just think having him out there is an advantage. Yeah, I mean, if not. Toronto wants to trade us Austin Matthews, sure they can have. <laughs> or Mitch Marner, huh? That'd be good for. Let's start with Matthews, but yeah, Marner too. Yeah. Marner's a beast. That'd be good for us, though. But, anyways, I'm gonna let you get ready for the game. Obviously, the bees coming out at nine o'clock for Calgary, but. Thank you so much for coming on, Mike. Always a pleasure having you come on. We talked everything NHL today, but next time you come on, we'll talk some uh, Pats, maybe some Sox. We'll be two weeks from opening day by the time we're back. So talk sure. some Sox before then. Maybe uh, talk about March Madness too because that will be the day before. That will probably be heavy March Madness now that I think of it. Yeah, probably probably big time. Heavy March Madness. We can Madness. highlight everything. For sure. As they say, what do they say? Bruins Minute on Phil Game Madness. We'll, we'll talk bees too, though. We have to talk bees. You can't always – you can't not talk bees, right? So we'll talk bees. <laughs> Cover all the bases. Always. Always the pitch. Hey, one last thing. Yeah, before I let you go, pitch clock. Are you a fan of it? Or are you not a fan of it? You know, I'm gonna give a real opinion when I watch, but there's a shot clock in the NBA, and that seems to keep the game moving. So yeah, I, I, I think that. it's it's good. I mean, the game's just gotten so much longer uh, than it used to be. I think the average number of pitchers in a game in 1980 was like four. Now it was up to like eight or nine. So per AB, it's just yeah. if you're gonna be switching out pitchers and. They got to come in, warm up. Oh, pitchers, pitchers got you. These are pitchers yeah. got you. Yeah, pitchers, pitchers yeah. You, yeah. So there are a lot more. In, I don't know. You got to get, get the game moving. It's not like they're taking away pitches from the game. Like it's still going to be the same. Yeah, analytics will still be the same thing. It's just really yeah. timing, right? You'll, you'll take like, I think guys in the NFL they tried to, to make games shorter, but it eliminated like plays. Yeah, you know, and possessions. Mm-hmm. Baseball's still going to have the same number of plays and possessions. Like the yeah. innings take care of that. Definitely. So. I just wasn't a fan of just I feel like it changes the way the game's played where it's rushed now where you got to, you know, have the pitcher and catcher on the yeah. same page right but is, away. Is it really rushed or is it just – it's a little stepped up. It's a little quicker. It, it, I mean, it should it, be more normal. Like when you're playing 
Oh, me. You I was know, coming up and you know me. You know me. I was quick. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you were fast and literally just like me. You got you got to be quick to the plate with your batter, right? You got to be quick and ready to go. Or yeah. I mean, everyone right? wants to watch the action, right? That's probably that was the issue. Is like there's just not enough action happening, in between, you know, especially pitch, in today's yeah. world where everyone gets distracted. If you take <laughs> 35 seconds throw a pitch people are on their phones so you're right that's part of the reason they did it i just feel like i don't, I don't really like the rushed uh you know aspect of which it. it's not really that rushed especially yeah. for me i would probably throw three or four pitches per minute in high school that wasn't really hard for me but All i'm right. saying for guys that would be used Price, to 45 okay. seconds yeah, exactly sure for 45 seconds exactly and then i was you know fixing their <laughs> sleeves and stuff and you know uh fixing you know the, yeah. the grip of the ball and that is yeah Obviously, that like you said, the bat is obviously you know taking their batting gloves off every pitch, like David Ortiz. I mean, that's something that obviously adds to the time of the game. But we'll see how things go. I think I, I won't take a you know full opinion of it till regular season games. Yeah, start I gotta to be watch played. a game with it. Like maybe it'll draw me in to watch a game, right? Like some people might want to tune in just to see what it looks like. I agree with that. I think I mean I don't know how many play, people will be a fan of the whole season because of it, but uh, people yeah. might tune in a little more. And I also made a point earlier in the episode that. It obviously helped with families, you know, leave games at nine thirty rather than ten o'clock. You know, oh, you yeah, can get home quicker. Great point. I mean, get if you're going to a game during the week, I mean, they play one hundred and sixty-two. They're playing every day. Like, yeah, you're gonna take a kid, you know, to a September game or a April, like when there's still school. Definitely, you know? for sure. That's the problem. Yeah. But we'll see how things go. Um, and big update here in the NFL: Leonard Fournette will be released. It seems like, wow. Yeah. Atlanta Fournette will be released. That's interesting. Just uh, a running back. We'll, we'll save that another episode. Running. But yeah, we'll see how things go. They're not like they're going back to the playoffs. Who's Kyle Trask or somebody? Trask, Trask probably their QB. Unless they get maybe Derek Carr or something, or maybe Jimmy G. Who knows what they'll go for? But I don't think that team's yeah. going anywhere. No, no Brady. They're not going anywhere, right? That's right. I know it's your boy, but hey, anyway. NFC is hurting for quarterbacks. Daniel Jones is top three in the NFC. He is. <sighs> What if he ends up on the Jets? Like uh, somebody dreamed that he was on the Jets, right? Easy. Yeah, I, I don't think he'll be a Jet. I think he'll be a Giant. Joe Shane said today he doesn't yeah. see any vision that Daniel Jones is not a Giant by next season. You know, going into next season, so I think he'll be a Giant no matter what, no matter what the money is. But we'll have to see what happens there. But I'm excited to see what the Giants' offseason looks like, and even the Patriots. Two weeks from now, will be right around the time free agency opens, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, and obviously, the draft will be a month away, just about a month and change away. Uh, so we'll see. Obviously, there's a lot of exciting things going on in sports that. I'll have you come back on. But I want you to get ready for the bees, obviously. You got the bees coming right. on in twenty minutes. So I'll gotta get my pregame mail in. I was gonna say you gotta get get have dinner beforehand. But hey, thank you so much, Mike, for com- always coming right. on. Always a pleasure. The sports guru, Mike Hurley, best in the business. Thank you for coming on, Mike. Much appreciated. Thanks, Joey. Go bees. Have a good night. Take it easy. Bye bye. There he is, the sports guru, Mike Hurley. As I said, the best in the business. Always coming on, giving his opinions, and it's always a pleasure to have him come in. As I said, he can talk about anything sports, uh, whether it's the NBA, NHL. MLB, NFL, he can give you all his takes. So great having him come on. Always a pleasure. So thank you, as always, Mike, for coming on. Uh, and one last thing I want to update with and I want to end with was BC basketball. And I was talking about them for a little bit earlier, right, earlier in the episode, and I was talking about how good they were playing as of late. Tonight, going to Wake Forest, they were 8-point underdogs as Wake as 18-11 on the year. BC right now up 7 points with 7 minutes to go 58 51 have 18 points from Jaden Zachary so far Quinton Post is 15 both those guys grind for 33 of BC's 58 points Zachary shooting 7 11 6 of 11 from the floor 2 of 3 from 3 and then you have Quinton Post 7 of 14 from the floor and 1 of 3 from three point land uh, which is pretty impressive uh, and then Appleby on Wake Forest their best players 18 points 4 rebounds 4 assists 6 of 12 from the floor 4 of 9 from 3 
Appleby has been their best player all season, averaging 18.6 points per game, 6.2 assists, 3.2 rebounds, shooting 43% from the floor and 37% from three. So BC getting a win against them would obviously be big, but as of late, they're struggling. Wake Forest 6-4 in their last 10. They're 8th in the ACC. BC right now is 10th in the ACC, 6-4 in their last 10, 14-15 overall on the year. And a couple things I wanted to highlight with. BC now has 8 wins in the ACC, which is the most they've had since Steve Donahue was the head coach in his first year in 2010-2011. BC has beat 3 ranked teams this season, the most since Al Skinner was the head coach in 2008-2009. BC overall 14-15. Uh, in their overall record, 8-10 in the ACC. And they could fin- finish 500 or better for the first time since 2017-2018 season. The first time they could finish 500 or better since the 2017-2018 season if they were to win their last two games. They could finish 500 or better in ACC play as well for the first time since 2010-2011. And they could reach 10 ACC wins for the first time since 2006 2007 season. So very impressive. They would have to beat Wake Forest tonight and then beat Virginia Tech on Saturday for all three of those things to be true to get 10 ACC wins, to finish 500 better in the ACC, and then to finish 500 better overall in the season. They have to win uh, both of their last games, including tonight versus Wake Forest, which as of now, BC's up 6 points, 60 to 54 with six minutes to go. And then they'd also have to uh, win on Saturday on Senior Day versus Georgia Tech. So BC. Facing Wake Forest, 18-11 on the year. Wake Forest is 10-8 in ACC play. They've won four of their last six games, but overall in their last 10 games, they just 4-6. Uh, BC lost them by 22 points in January at Conti Forum, but BC's been catching fire as of late, uh, and hopefully will finish this season hot going into the ACC tournament. Uh, and I think BC will be a lock for the NIT, the National Invitational Tournament. Whether or not they were to get you know a, a, a long run into the ACC tournament, I think they could qualify for the NIT or maybe the CBI, the College Basketball Invitational, if they were not to get into the NIT. But BC on the air is five ACC home wins. Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, Louisville, Clemson, UVA. Obviously, beating two ranked teams in Clemson and UVA at home is very impressive. Uh, and then if you consider what they've done overall in the year, eight ACC wins, it could get a ninth tonight versus Wake Forest. That's very impressive. So credit to Earl Grant and the basketball program for doing big things. Uh, right now, BC, after Quinton Post, two-point driving layup, they are up eight points with 5.51 to go. Uh, Quinton Post will be going for an and one, it looks like. So we'll see if he can get an and one to convert and be- give BC a nine-point lead with just under six minutes to go. And he did not make it, it seems like, actually. Let me see here. He missed the free throw, and then uh, Wake Forest ended up going down the lane. Uh, Davian Williamson uh, had a two-point layup in the paint. So BC's up six points with five minutes in uh, 25 seconds to go. So just out of five and a half minutes to go, BC finds themselves up six points. We'll see what happens in the end of that game. Uh, and I'll probably give you one more quick update before I close. Uh, one thing I want to give you a breakdown of before I close out is everything in sports to look forward to over the next few weeks. I will be on spring break. I get out this Friday. I'll be on spring break till March 12th. I'll be back on Monday, March 13th. So my next episode will be March 14th on that Tuesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Let me make sure I get those dates right. Yes, March 14th from 7 to 8 p.m. will be my next live episode. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to happen uh, from now until then. So I'll be doing podcast uploads over spring break, uh, keeping keeping you guys updated on that. Hopefully I have some guests come on over spring break as well that, that I've been meaning to get on. Uh, but there's some dates I want to give you guys a breakdown of and, and, and some things that you guys should look forward to in the next few weeks. So you got the NHL trade deadline this Friday, March 3rd. You got the ACC basketball tournament starting on March 7th. On March 7th, you also have the World Baseball Classic beginning. That'll take place over a two-week period from March 7th to March 21st. 
I already gave a quick preview of it over the summer, and now I give a, an updated preview of which teams uh, have which players playing and, and, and obviously which teams are playing where in each pool. So I'll give another preview of that over uh, spring break. The Hockey East Tournament will be starting on Wednesday, March 8th. That's something to look forward to for BC Hockey. It looks like they'll be uh, hosting UNH for a one-game uh, uh, matchup versus UNH to see who advances to the next round. The Hockey's tournament, all 11 teams make it in, and it's single elimination. So BC will have a chance to make it uh, and obviously have a run in the Hockey's tournament, which as of now, it looks like they'll have to win the Hockey's tournament to qualify for the Frozen, Frozen, for the Frozen Four tournament. I apologize there. The March Madness Selection Sunday uh, special will be on March 12th. Uh, with the tournament kicking off on Wednesday, March 15th with the first four games. Thursday will obviously be the biggest uh, games of the tournament, that, that first you know two days of the tournament. March 15th, it will be the first four. So March 16th and March 17th will be the first two uh, great games, uh, first two great days, I should say, of the college basketball March Madness tournament. So that's something to look forward to. March 12th is Selection Sunday. And then the 15th will be the first four. And then the 16th and 17th will be the round of 64. Then also around there, you have the NH NFL free agency. NFL free agency will, be, will begin on, I believe, March 13th. Uh, let me see. It'll be March 15th. The NFL will be starting a new league year on March 15th. So right after the beginning of the round of 64 on the uh, 16th and 17th, it'll be the first four being on the 15th of March Madness on that same day. March 15th will also be the start of the NFL free agency. So it's going to be a crazy week. You have the Hockey East Tournament, March Madness starting. You have the start of the NFL free agency. A week before that, you have the ACC Tournament, the World Baseball Classic beginning. It would be the middle of the World Baseball Classic by the 15th. And then also on March 19th would be the Frozen Four Selection Special uh, for the College Hockey Tournament uh, with the regional round beginning on March 23rd. And then MLB Opening Day will be on Thursday, March 30th. Another thing for people to look forward to. So... That's a quick breakdown of an outlook of sports over the next few weeks. I will be back live in the studio Tuesday, March 14th, to give you a preview of the March Madness Tournament. Also talk about uh, the NFL free agency, which just be a day away uh, from there, just about. It'll be Wednesday, March 15th, as the start of free agency. So uh, I'll give you a preview of that, give you, obviously, uh, what happened in the Hockey's Tournament and probably the World Baseball Classic over spring break. I can't obviously talk about everything probably uh, over that you know one episode, so probably uh, talk about the ACC tournament and the World Baseball Classic and the Hockey's tournament over break, uh, and then when I get back in the studio on the 14th, hopefully have my friend Timmy Loftus, longtime listener of the show, uh, come on uh, with Matt, and then also Tim uh, as well, his son, hopefully have all of them come on. Uh, Matt came on actually last year to my show uh, when it was a playbook with Joey and Zach, uh, which that'll be starting up again after spring break. Hopefully have that on Monday nights when I get back in the studio. But Matt came on uh, last year for one episode before the NBA playoffs. He was an absolute wizard uh, with, with everything he knew. So he's like talking to a sports uh, dictionary, just knows everything you need to know about the games. So I'll have him come on hopefully on Tuesday, March 14th uh, to talk about March Madness. Hopefully have Timmy Loftus on as well. Thank you, Timmy, for always listening in. Uh, and then I'll also talk about the NFL and free agency. Probably give you a preview of that. Uh, it's a free agency to look out for and who's going to be signed within the next day. So anyways, thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I won't be on next Tuesday, next Tuesday night. I will be at home. As I said, that'll be spring break over the next week. But I'll do probably three or four, maybe five podcast uploads, you know, from now until, you know, March 13th when I'm back in the studio, or March 14th, it'll be Tuesday night. So there's a lot to cover over then, as I said, the NHL trade deadline, the ACC tournament, the Hockey East tournament, the World Baseball Classic. There's a lot for me to cover over the next, you know, 
two weeks until I'm back in the studio on March 14th. So if you're interested in listening to my podcast on Spotify, check it out there, whether it's on Spotify, uh, Amazon Podcast, Amazon Music it is, uh, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts. It'll be uploaded on there, YouTube as well. But that'll conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. Every time you guys listen in and give me a feedback, give you thoughts, it does mean a lot. And one thing Timmy pointed out, what which me and my crew were talking about, the days of the old Bruins, Bobby Orr, another Bruins great, Johnny Busick, uh, one of the best to ever do it in a Bruins uniform. So shout out to Johnny Busick. Uh, I actually have one of his signed posters at home, actually, I got from a neighbor uh, you know, back in the day. So uh, it's a great autograph to have. So Busick, another former Bruin legend. So I'm happy you pointed him out, Timmy. Can't ever forget Johnny Busick and what he did for the Bruins back in the day. Anyways, it does conclude the episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. As always, the way I finish every single episode, shout out to the Loftus family. Thank you so much for listening in. Timmy, biggest fan of the show, I know. Thank you for listening in. Uh, Shout out to Auntie Lisa. Shout out to to the O'Malley family. Thank you guys for always listening in. Uh, My family, my parents, my siblings. Thank you guys for always listening. Uh, It does mean a ton to me. Uh, And then the sports guru, Mike Curley, thank you for coming on. Always a pleasure having you on. Hopefully have you on in the next few weeks uh, to talk all things sports as you always do. Uh, Pay attention to that episode March 14th. As I said, I'm going to try to get Matt, the sports dictionary, back on uh, in this, you know, to call in on that day to talk about March Madness. So we'll see what happens over the next few weeks in sports. I'll keep keep you guys updated on my podcast. uh, And uh, hopefully... uh, the Bruins make maybe one more move before the trade deadline. If they do, hopefully it's a good one. And then I'll also talk about the ACC tournament and the Hockey East tournament over breaks. Hopefully Northeastern and BC play well in the Hockey East tournament. BC basketball makes a run in the ACC tournament. I want to give you guys one more update actually where I close of that BC game. BC is up four points now uh, with three minutes and 24 seconds to go. There's a TV timeout. Uh, so we'll see how BC close the game. Hopefully they get a win. Uh, so best of luck to Earl Grant and the boys in the last three minutes to go. Thank you guys, as always, for listening in. I appreciate it. And I hopefully will be back on two weeks from now, Tuesday, March 14th at 7 p.m. on WZBC AM Sports Radio. I'll probably play a couple a couple songs uh, before I close out. Uh, this will be the ep- you know the end of the episode here uh, for the radio show. Thank you guys, as always, for listening in. Much appreciated. Stay well, stay safe. And hope you guys all have a great next few weeks where I'm back in the studio. Take it easy and take care. Thank you.